Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I am Joe Stark. And for today's episode, I'm bringing you the first of my Climbing Stories series, where I plan on talking to different rock climbers and kind of finding out how they got their start in the sport and, you know, some of the different adventures that they've been on and, you know, share them with my audience. Um, In the past, when my activity as a rock climber has come up, it's always garnered, you know, a bit of a response in that it's a weird enough activity (laughs) that people are just absolutely unfamiliar with it, yet it's still somewhat fascinating at the same time because a lot of people just can't wrap their minds around what it what it is that you're actually out there doing. (laughs) And so I thought, what better way than to actually talk with some of the badass climbers that I know. Um, For this first episode, I am talking with a climber named Clara So that I met uh, climbing in the Red River Gorge with my wife uh, uh, two or three years ago. And uh, Clara was one of those climbers that was, she was just awesome to watch because she would make it look effortless. One of the things with climbing is it's it's not a sport that you need to be like a big hulking brute to excel in. You know, you don't need to have a lot of muscles. You can be quite the unassuming person walking around on the ground. And if you know the right tricks and the right technique to do it, you can make it look very easy. <laughs> and Claro is one of those one of those climbers. And uh, beyond that, she was. She was an absolute joy to talk with on the ground. She was so funny. She had me and Lindsay cracking up all day. And, you know, as soon as I thought of doing this series, she was one of the first climbers I thought of. I follow her on Facebook, and she climbs all over the place. (laughs) So uh, I'd say without further ado, uh, let's get right into it. Smith is like the birthplace of American sport climbing, right? So it's funny. We've got Revelations, the first is a five nines, the first fully bolted route in the entire US. So they haven't retro bolted it because it's historic. And you have people like visiting climbers come and just bitch about it because the first bolt's like 25 feet off the ground. It's like terrifying. Uh-huh. And they're like, you see you people who don't realize like the historic nature and they're like, what the fuck? Like, why doesn't someone put more bolts in? Like, what's going on here? And it's like, I mean, it's history, right? Well, those but, are people who don't realize where the fuck they're climbing. Yeah. It's yeah, like, dude, it's, this isn't just some fucking crag in the middle of nowhere. Well, <laughs> like the yeah. ones we got here in Iowa, you know, it's like, yeah, we can bolt shit super safe because we have no fucking history. Yeah. <laughs> but like, the cool thing is that, so it's a really old sport climbing area, but there's still a lot of development going on. I've got a couple of friends who are putting up lines and, you know, there's like Drew Arana's one of the local crushers. He's up in Seattle, but, um, he, you know, he comes down to Smith a lot and he's putting up like some hard 14s. But there's also just people here putting up like 11s, 12s, and 13s, which are, you know, for normal people, like those are achievable. I mean, Drew put up a potentially a 515 in the park, and I can look at it and be like, that thing looks completely fucking empty, right? But, and like, <laughs> I can just be impressed that someone can figure out a way up that, but, you know, I'll never climb that hard. But there's like tons of development going on here too, in like normal people grades, you know, which is awesome. So it makes it really fun. Like I just sent um, this route 
two weekends ago that probably only had like five or six people climb it, you know? Um, so fun. It's fun. Yeah. But yeah, I see Troy bolting all that stuff. I'm like, man, I mean, we've got like a handful of new roots going up here, but that guy's just bolting the entire state of Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of places he can get into. He's super passionate about it. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've known him since 2000, uh, late 2009. And he hasn't slowed down a bit. <laughs> if anything, he's gotten more more into it. It's it's really really inspiring to see. Yeah, um, it's crazy, and he's still bolting down at the red too, isn't he? I mean, he's just like fucking like all he, over down there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I've I've got plans to to talk with him sometime, but it's like he's always on the go. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like I I more need to just make it be like okay. All my podcasting shit, I'm going to just have it in my bag and just be ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, Troy, are you home this evening? Okay, I'm, I'm going to come over. <laughs> you got you to gotta find him in his trailer at the Red one night after he's done some massive hike and he's mellowed out a little. <laughs> oh, fuck. I'd love to be in the Red. <laughs> yeah. Will also, if I was in the Red, that means I would be on vacation and I wouldn't have to yeah. worry about anything else. <laughs> it's funny because I'm like in Oregon now and I've been batting around him. Pretty sure Boulder is going to be my next stop. Probably head there. And I'm actually thinking about just today. Actually, I was looking at plane tickets, and I think I'm going to try and spend like the next uh, in, in the winter to spring, couple like maybe three or four months in Spain. So oh shit, I, yeah. I you know so I went. I'm planning on going to Greece in October or November of this year, uh, and check out Kalimnos because everyone says it's like heaven on earth. Um, but My I pictures went to look amazing. Oh my God, it looks fucking awesome. And just like, you know, just like you're on the, like you're climbing over the water. It just looks amazing. But I went to Spain last year, like last spring, and it was as if someone made crags just for me. Like it was just, I mean, I've sent all my hardest lines there. And, you know, I was in Spain, I was in Margalef. Well, first, like we flew, we didn't really have plans. We were there for like a couple of weeks. We flew into El Choro and I was like, oh my God, it's amazing. Never want to leave. And then we go to Siriana. I'm like, why the fuck did I just waste a week in, in El Choro? I'm like, amazing. And then I get to Margalef. I'm like, what the hell was I doing for the last two weeks in Siriana that I wasn't in Margalef? Like every crag we got to got better and better and better. And they're still like, oh, Liana, I never made it to. Um, there's all these other places I haven't been. And uh, but I got to Margalef and it was just something it's like technical but physical, and there's these tiny mono pockets, and you know, I'm a pretty small person, I'm like five three, right? So I can stuff like two fingers in all the mono pockets. And I remember I was on this route, it was like this one like little pretty, pretty short route in Margalef. This is one of the first sectors we went to, and there were these like four dudes from England and they, every single one of them fell at the exact same spot. So I was like, that must be the crux. Right. And then I just cruised up it and they're like, what did you do? And I was like, I mean, I have no idea. Like it just, everything clicked. And I just like sent this route that, and every single person kept falling and falling and falling in the same spot. And I was like, man, that wasn't hard at all. It was <laughs> as if, like someone just custom drilled pockets exactly where I needed them. It was crazy. So that's a good yeah. feeling. Yeah, it's such a good feeling to be on a route and just feel like you're in that much control. Yeah, yeah, and that's, um, that's why I that's why I stick to really easy routes. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just love so this my little project I just sent. It's um it was called um the big tease a big tease that my friend Chris bolted, and it was funny because the you know the the I tried it once last year, and then they have a seasonal golden eagle nesting closure, so I wasn't able to get on it again. And then I tried it like I think it it took me six goes. I tried it once just to like sort of figure out the beta, and then I gave it like a red point burn my my second time, and I was tired. And then the time I, and then like the next weekend I went back, I gave it, you know, another like sort of beta burn and I tried a red point and I fell. Um, and then the time I sent it, it was just like, I was so relaxed, like everything just clicked. And I was like, it just, everything flowed so well. It's just like days like that, where you just like, even though you've fallen on, you know, like multiple times at different cruxes, like the weekend before, and I didn't do anything different. Like I hadn't really like worked out at all. I just like went up to it. And I just was like really calm and I just started climbing it and everything just came together. And those are just the days that you live for, you know, it's just, it's awesome. Wow. What kind of stone is it on? Uh, that was at Smith. So that was on that welded tough that we okay. have. out there. Yeah. Um, and I, I love Smith. It's like technical and physical and it's funny. You get people who visit here who um, are not, they're like really physical climbers. You know, like you climb at the red a lot. Um, and you get used to sort of like, you know, they joke around like the reds, like the biggest jugs you'll ever fall off of. Right. Yeah. And Smith is just like this, like tic tac, like really, really delicate, uh, technical climbing. And so some of my friends, like my visiting friends, you, you're not trying to be insulting, but you're like, you know, like you might want to knock your grade down a little bit, like, you know, change your expectations until you get used to the rock, like anywhere new you go oh, yeah. takes you a little and our bolting is pretty spicy compared to some of the other places, you know, like like decent, you know, 15, 20 foot run out sometimes. But that's and on that, really a tall stone too, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of places like Barbecue the Pope. It's like, a, I think it's a 10B. <laughs> Barbecue the <And>, uh, Pope? <laughs> <laughs> it's famous for being like horrendously bolted. The first bolt's like 20 feet off the ground. And then the <laughs> second bolt is like, if you blow it, like, that's the crux you're going to deck. Oh, shit. And so... It's 10B, and I never climbed it until this year when I was, like, climbing 12s because it's just, like, don't don't fucking fall, you know? <laughs> but, uh, again, it's one of those old roots that they bolted it on lead with a hand drill. Yeah. You know? Like, they are that's bold as sense. Yeah. Some <laughs> poor men, and they had hemp ropes. <laughs> yeah, and they were climbing in fucking hobnail boots. With, right? hemp, with hemp ropes, with this idea of don't fall because this hemp rope is just tied around my waist. <laughs> God, terrible. <laughs> oh. And like, I get freaked out, like leading a sport route where there's a bolt like every five feet. <laughs> like, I'm such yeah. a pussy. <laughs> when I like think about like, oh, wow. Um, do you see very many people using stick clips there to reach those yeah. first bolts? Okay. I wasn't sure if, you know. Yeah. The funny thing is actually about like six months ago, I was hiking out with one of my climbing partners. It was probably a weekend. So it was really crowded. And this woman just comes up to me. She like sort of runs up to me. She's like, stop. And I'm like, what, what? Cause we have like rattlesnakes and shit. Right. So I was like, oh my God. See, she's like, what is this stick? Why is everyone carrying these sticks around? <laughs> 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 the urgent question. She finally was like, I have to ask. And I was like, oh, it's for climbing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for listeners that have no idea what we're talking about, a stick clip in climbing is like a retractable pole that you can fix your rope on the end of so you can basically hook up your rope to the first piece of pro uh, protection up off the ground so that you're not climbing from the ground up to like the first bolt without the rope being 
above you already. But some people in climbing want to make a big controversy out of it and say you're being, you know, you're invalidating your send or whatever. But really, it's like broken ankles aren't cool. Holds yeah. break. That's my that's my take on it anyway. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I'll usually just boulder up to the first bolt, but there's sometimes where it's either dangerous or you just, you know, you're tired. And it's like, it's, it, there's a difference between like hang dogging your way up to the first bolt and just having that safety, yeah. you know? And yeah. So yeah, it's just funny. There's, there's a lot of, I think, I mean, it's pretty well accepted that, that you can, you know, stick clip your first bolt. But it's funny because, like, I, I, you know, I have a stick clip, and a lot of times it's just, like, in my car because I forget to hike down with it. And then I'm like, damn it, that stick clip that's in my trunk right now could really use that thing. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So I usually actually just leave it in my car because I'm out so much. doesn't, it don't, you know, it's not even worth moving it from my car to my garage or my gear room. But even then, it just sometimes doesn't even make it to the crag. I'm just like, fuck, it's in the parking lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. When I was getting out every weekend, that was where my stick clip lived. It was just like yeah. along the passenger side in totally. my Saturn. <laughs> it's like yeah. I open up the back door and like slide it in along the driver's seat. <laughs> yeah. But then my uh, my youngest, his his car seat was on that side and he got tired having to climb over it. So I was like, all right. And so now I keep it in my garage next to the climbing wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so um, wh- wh- um, how did you initially get into climbing? So I actually, this is funny. I'll tell you how I got into it. And then there's a fun little story. Um, so I was just up in, I, I went to mammoth lakes to mammoth mountain to just snowboard full-time i was actually like i this is how i make decisions which drives like my family crazy so i was like literally sitting in a in a bathroom stall like sitting on the toilet you know facing the 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 door of the um bathroom and it was just like a picture of the sierra of nevada mountains i'm like i'm gonna go there so i got my snowboard and my backpack and i hitchhiked to mammoth um from pennsylvania and <laughs> to, to um, where to Mammoth Mountain, California. Holy shit. Uh, yeah. How old were you when you were doing this? <laughs> I was like 25. Wow. You know, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And so I like used to, if you called 1-800-MAMMOTH, I used to answer that phone. And I was just there snowboarding and sort of dicking around. And you know, like a waitress, I cocktailed, I did like odd jobs. And um, I met uh, some friends who were climbing because it's, you know, right near Bishop and the Owens River Gorge. So they were like snowboarders also, but primarily they were climbers and they took me out and I made every fucking newbie mistake on the planet. Like, I can't even believe not only they kept taking me out, but they like even still talk to me. So I try (laughs) to remember that when I'm around noobs, like I literally, so, you know, like obviously I wasn't lead climbing at all. Right. Like someone had to lead and then I was just top roping. And so like I top roped a route and I came down and I left the figure eight tied in because I was like, that shit's complicated to tie. Like I thought I was doing everyone a favor by leaving the knot in the rope. <laughs> and of course, like you don't do that. Right. So they like, they didn't even, whoever had put the line up, didn't even check and they pulled the rope and then oh. the knot. Right. Yeah, exactly. Stuck at the anchors. So they're like, who left the knot in the rope? And I was like, well, I did, of course, like, aren't I doing you all a favor? <laughs> by hanging your 200 foot rope up on the top <laughs> yeah. of the rope. And they're like, you're an asshole. They're like, who invited her? I'm like, I mean, I had no idea. I was like, I, I thought, you know, like, it's such a pain to tie that thing. Like, so, and then, I you mean, just so. just picture you proudly announcing, I, I know, left right? it in there. <laughs> so clueless. 
And then my friend who actually took me, I actually just went climbing with her recently in Maple. Um, but she, so she has a size eight and a half foot and I'm a seven and a half. So she lent me her shoes, but knowing that I'm a beginner and you know, whatever, I didn't need performance shoes. I spent the entire day bitching about how the shoes were too tight and there was clearly something wrong and they're all rolling their eyes at me because they're clearly too big for me. Like they're not even tight at all. I'm like, no man, there's something wrong. Like I just, I can't even walk around in these things. Like, you know, I really think that like, you know, I need, I need a different size shoe. I mean, I I just, I did everything wrong. I made that same mistake with my first pair of shoes. Yeah. I remember the first time I was on a limestone slab and I was, I was climbing with, with, uh, Troy and he was yelling at me to just put my toe in this pocket. And I'm like, I am. And he's like, you're not, you're on the side of your foot. Put yeah. your fucking toe in the hole. And I'm like, just up there. And like, in retrospect, I think back on that route, and I think my feet were maybe eight feet off the ground. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bad. But yeah, that's a rookie mistake right there. I mean, the shoes are goddamn uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And they're not supposed to be comfortable, no. but they're, you know... Yeah, you size for sensitivity and performance, right? And I mean, I just did. So the funny part is then, so she took me, my friend Jess took me out a bunch of times. She's a great person. And then, you know, she had family kids and, um, you know, she sort of stopped climbing a little bit. And now her daughter's eight. And we just met again. We went to Maple and then she, we were out in the Tetons and she is just starting to climb again. And like, guess who's the rope gun now? And it was so fun for me to like reintroduce her to the sport that she got me into, which is just awesome. Like, I mean, she was a really strong climber. You know, she had, she was bolting a ton of routes in California. She was developing, she was climbing with some really, really strong people. And, you know, she just, so her technique is still, she's still got technique. She, you know, gives a great belay still. She just hasn't climbed in almost a decade. Yeah. And so, it's just really fun to like for me to give that back to her. Yeah, that's so, too cool. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, hey, look at how much I've learned since that first time you took me out and I was such an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how I got into it. And then I moved back east after the season ended. And um, I just, like, you know, found other people to climb with. I started working at a climbing gym and met other people and, you know, just started getting out a little bit more and realized that, like, one of the best ways to be able to get out was to be, like, a self-sufficient climber. So, like, leading, you know, like, sport, trad, whatever, just, like, understand, like, you know, because I didn't want to be the person who's like, hey, can, who's going to set up a top rope for me? I'm like, I'm going to get up there and set up the top rope for myself by lead climbing. So, you know, just started, like, trying to learn more, like, you know, uh, learning how to lead, getting, you know, getting better at, like, technique and safety and all that stuff. But mostly, if, you know, I've never, like taken classes or clinics I've just always been lucky that I've I've had friends or people around who are willing to take me out and now I try and return the favor too yeah that's awesome um uh it seemed like when I first started we always talked about going in trad climbing because a lot of the guys that I climbed with all mostly came from a trad background but just the nature of climbing in Iowa there's just a lot more really good sport routes that we get on yeah. And so I s- climbed for maybe five or six years before I ever tried climbing a crack and just oh. looking at it from the ground, I was like, oh, that's not going to be bad. Like it kicked my ass so bad. <laughs> so <laughs> I can imagine that starting out, you know, like, cause it sounded like you learned them kind of both at the same time. 
Yeah, yeah. That had to have been better. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because, you know, the thing is with the trad climbing at the gunks, it's like, it's not your normal trad climbing because it's not, we don't have vertical cracks. They're mostly these horizontals. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like sport climbing on gear where you have to understand the gear and placements and stuff, but it's still just not the vertical splitters. And so... Oh, it Holy still feels shit. like face climbing more or less? Yeah, like, okay. yeah, very much. But so I like, you know, so I've been climbing for a few years. I moved back to Oregon and like I'm out, my friends and I are out in Leavenworth and I was literally, I cannot emphasize enough that I was literally the world's worst crack climber ever. Like no exaggeration. So my friends and I went up to Leavenworth and there's just like this little bullshit rock. It's like literally in the parking lot. This is not what you go to Leavenworth for. You go to Leavenworth <laughs> for thousand foot granite walls or like amazing bouldering like you don't go there for the five seven classic crack that's in the parking lot but what happened was that this guy was there this old crusty dude was there and he had been free soloing that crack like 10 years ago fell and decked and like got taken up by a helicopter to Wenatchee like he was like they resuscitated me twice blah blah this whole story and so every year on the anniversary of his accident he comes back to recline that crack like it's a thing for him right so with protection, but still like it's his annual pilgrimage to Leavenworth. And so I was between him. And my, so my friend puts this, it's five, seven, right? My friend puts it up and I have, I've never climbed a splitter in my life. And I'm trying to like face climb it. I'm trying to Gaston it. I'm trying to lay back it. And my partner's yelling at me like still to this day, I hear him for God's sakes, jam that crack. And I'm like, I don't want to. <laughs> and, got, and I'm just like having like just the shit showest of the session fest ever. And like, you know, most times when people can tell you're like a beginner at something and you're struggling, they're like, oh, you're doing great. Like, you know, give you beta or advice. This guy literally was like, get the fuck off that crack. Like, you are so bad. You're like, hold him. Yeah, I was like, oh, my God, this guy is so mean. (laughs) But I really was that bad. Like, I just was face climbing came naturally like face climbing I understood but crack climbing I was like I just I don't understand like I was like where are the holds like you're asking me to climb the void you know like instead yeah. of positive holds you you're it's the exact opposite and um so it's funny because we had done that trip. It was actually that trip we were planning on climbing this long alpine route, which is primarily face climbing. Uh, so I was just, you know, just trying to learn a little bit of crack. But then the same partner I was with, we had talked about going to Indian Creek. And he looks at me. He's like, I hope this doesn't dissuade you from Indian Creek. And I was like, <laughs> you still want to go to Indian Creek with me? Like, I'm such a shit show. <laughs> but, uh, oh, I hope my tone of conversation doesn't dissuade you from our future yeah. trip. <laughs> That guy sounds awesome. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was so humbling, just a flail on that. And, you know, I thought I was like a decent climber. I was like on sighting 511 at that point, like sport. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. You know, I was doing okay. And then I could not get myself up a 5.7 crack. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm literally the world's worst. And so, you know, I just I put some time and effort into it. I'm still not going to be like this amazing natural crack climber. But, you know, like we went back to Indian Creek this year. Like I put up a bunch of roots. Um you know, I've done, I've taken a couple of long alpine routes that are primarily crack. And I mean, you know, like, and I go to Trout Creek, which we have this amazing basalt, these basalt splitters here in Oregon. Um, 
And you're like, I go there and I get my ass kicked on a regular basis, but you know, I'm, I'm putting the roots up. So it was, it was pretty, you know, it was fun for me the first time I went back to one of these places and actually did something other than like hang all over a root on top rope. So <laughs> slowly <laughs> making some progress, getting better. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I know the last couple of weekends you've done some really big trips. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, so I was, um, it's funny. So I went to Leavenworth the first time and we climbed this route called outer space. It's like an old Fred Becky route. And that was my first real taste of alpine climbing. You know, it's like the four hour approach and the bushwhacking. And then you've got like a thousand feet of granite. And so I had tried, tried climb before, but you know, I was probably like 70% of the time I was spending sport climbing and 30% trad. And I just, that's when I really fell in love with mostly with alpine, but you know, you alpine climb and you have to, uh, there sometimes there's bolts and sometimes you got pitons, but you have to learn how to place gear. And so that's when I was like, I, I want to do this. Like, this is what I love more than anything else. You know, like I sport climb, I trad, I, I boulder, but alpine is like the thing that I can't get out of my head. And so um, that's when I really started like spending more time trying to learn how to place pro and, and be efficient about it. So um, I went up two weekends ago to try and climb. This has been like the year of just a uh, total shit show for me. So I tried <laughs> the, you know, the grand Exum and in, in in the Tetons and we got thunderstormed off the route. And, you know, there's this, I don't know if you've heard about the, uh, there's a big, um, like the most, like the most horrible climbing accident, in, like North American history or something is like 12 people were hit by like one, one bolt of lightning in like a simultaneous lightning strike in the grand and like wow. seven. Died. Yeah. It's like a really famous accident. And so when we were climbing Exum and like the static electricity, you could feel like your ice tools vibrating. I'm like, that's it for me. Like I I've had enough. I'm going down. Oh, that's so creepy. I, yeah. And then my partner went a couple, there are so many people up there. He went a couple more pitches and then ended up bailing also. So, you know, there was just lightning everywhere. So I bailed off Exum this year and then, uh, we went up my part, another partner and I went up to Mount Stewart to climb the complete North Ridge. We finished all the technical climbing, except there was like 2000 feet of scrambling and then one more pitch of technical climbing. So we finished the 90% of the technical climbing and we just got lost on the approach. Like, I mean, this is like true alpine climbing. Like, you know, you're two days in the back country with no cell phone service. We had thought there's two ways of approaching the route. There's a, a southern approach and the northern approach. And every single person said, do the northern approach. So we decided to take the southern approach. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're fucking geniuses. Yeah, that and makes it, sense. <laughs> it was the worst approach ever. So, you know, like we, we did most of the approach the night, like Friday night. And then we bivvied at Stewart Pass. And then it's only like, we woke up at six. We were like, we'll be climbing the route by nine, you know, because it's only like a mile, but it's pretty strenuous terrain. You have to go over one more pass. And then you have to like, apparently cross a glacier that we thought was not going to be as big as and committing as it was. So eight hours later, we're still bushwhacking. <laughs> trying to climb. <laughs> so we didn't actually start climbing till about 4 p.m. Oh, shit. And yeah, so we thought 9, 10 a.m. or latest we should be climbing. So we start climbing at 4.30 and uh, uh, 4 p.m. And so what we didn't realize was, so we're, you know, we're, we're, we're climbing okay. Like, you know, we're moving, we're making good time. And then we only had a 35-meter rope. So because once you summit, you just hike down the backside, down this couloir. And so, you know, we weren't planning on doing repelling. And this party above us, 
they had just finished the the last pitch of technical climbing that we were on and they were rappelling down. They're like, we're bailing. It's getting too late. And they had a 60 meter line that they were like, well, if you want to bail, this is your last chance because we don't our our line. Our rope's not long enough. And they're like, yeah, I mean, it's supposed to get easier, but it was just like, you know, the, the climbing didn't seem that straightforward. Like it was a lot more challenging than we thought. And again, we were also told that after you finish this one pitch of nine plus, it's just like a pretty easy scramble for uh, many like thousands of feet. So, you know, we were a little intimidated. We're like, oh, okay, it's really late in the day. So we decided to bail at that point. And then we found out they started climbing at 10 a.m. and we caught up to them in an hour and a half. What? <laughs> yeah. Apparently, they were the slowest climbers on the planet. <laughs> well, we what didn't realize. the chances of that? That that means they had like a six-hour head start on you. Yeah. And we still, it, within four pitches, we caught up to them. So we didn't, re- I mean, I never stopped to ask, like, what time did you start climbing? Like, yesterday, <laughs> you know? We, they were just, and they seemed like super solid, and they seemed safe. And they were like from Seattle. They climbed all these routes in Leavenworth. I didn't realize, like, maybe they just ate, climbed everything. I, mean, I don't know what was going on. So it's funny. So we bailed off that route. So I actually just found a partner to go climb it in two weekends. So I'm going to give another attempt. Uh, I was actually, it's funny. I was supposed to go back to the Tetons this past weekend and climb, try again, a second attempt for Exum. But the forecast was like 70% chance of rain. I was like, I'm not going to drive 11 hours to go sit in another thunderstorm. Um, So instead, we drove an hour and a half to go climb Three Finger Jack in a thunderstorm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which that is, sounds safe <laughs> yeah so the the funny thing about that was um we so i've never climbed through finger jack but it's like five four or something you know it's it's basically like a really long hike and then a couple pitches of technical climbing that or under or normal circumstances i would probably just free solo um, but it was very, very wet and very damp, and the rock is pretty chossy, so we decided, given the conditions, we'd rope up. And we passed this other group of climbers. There was there was only us and one other party because the conditions were terrible. You know, they said, oh, why don't – they were roping up for just even some fourth-class sections. They were like, oh, why don't you go out and pass? And they had – one of the guys was actually a guide, and he had climbed it before – and so, you know, we were asking for beta. We're like, where does it go? It's so foggy. We can't see for shit. And they're for initially, they're pretty nice. They're like, oh, it goes this way. But then eventually they just like, because we're a little bit of a shit show because my partner and I, we have no idea where we're going. <laughs> and uh, they were like sort of mean to us. They're like, well, it really seems like you guys are really unprepared. And I just laughed and I jokingly was like, don't worry, I'm, a pro- I'm almost a professional. You know, I was just like, whatever. <laughs> I was like, it will be fine. And uh, we keep going. And, you know, we top out, we're coming down and um, we are wrapping down the second to last pitch. They pat, they, you know, have caught up to us and they were like totally rude to us. You know, I had my wrap line up and I was about to pull it and it's pretty chossy. So I was like, oh, can you just wait 30 seconds for me to pull it? Because I don't want to knock loose rock on you. And they were just like, you know, it's getting cold. Like we just need to keep climbing. And I was like, okay, well, can you wait 30 seconds? They're like, no. So they start climbing. So now I have to wait for two people to climb two pitches for me to pull the rope. Cause I don't want to pull it on them. Yeah. So- uh, and it, it's like wow, a 30 that's second. rude right so hilariously guess who had to get rescued they did <laughs> <laughs> the guide had to get rescued off a of five four yeah they, well they got <laughs> so socked in by fog that they couldn't find their way back down and um yeah they ended oh, up yeah. 
but yeah. still <laughs> serves them right. <laughs> I mean, you sort of hate to say it. And the funniest part was that, so I actually do search and rescue for Deschutes County and they're actually the, the rock we were on was Lynn County. So I didn't get called out, but actually they, they did. I got a text the next morning. They actually spent all night on the mountain and then eventually they like helicoptered one of the women out. They helicoptered the girl and they, they hiked in and walked the guy out under his own power. But he was there until like, you know, 1 p.m. or something like or like I think maybe like 10 a.m. So I got a text about it because they were asking for support from Deschutes County. And when they were calling 911, like I was in the next town, like having post summit ice cream, you know, and I was like. I mean, I would have come and gotten you like I literally am the rescue party. <laughs> and that's why when they were suggesting we were unprepared, I was just joking around. I was like, I mean, I'm, I'm actually search and rescue. <laughs> so <laughs> how funny would that have been if you'd have been the one to show up to rescue? I know. And I usually have my like search and rescue gear in my in my car. So I, I didn't carry it all with me that day. But, you know, I've got like my little uniform and stuff. And, you know, had I had any indication they were going to get into trouble, like we would have waited for them or I would have hiked back up. But it was just funny because I saw it on the news the next day. And I was like, oh, my God, those are the people that we passed who were total assholes to us. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> so is that something yeah. you've had ever? Um, have you ever had issues having to deal with that sort of shit before? I mean, I, I'm sure there's always people with just dumb attitudes like i remember you putting a facebook post up right after you moved there saying something about the like the person working a desk at like a gym or something like that yeah yeah so you know it's mostly i you know and it's interesting because recently in the climbing community like i don't know if you've seen there's been a lot of discussion about like women in climbing and like microaggressions and i'd say for the most part people are very like welcoming and, and friendly and generous i I do get a little bit of like, so it's funny, actually, on that same route, we were as we were going up and, you know, my partner is a super solid guy that I was climbing with, but he doesn't have that much trad experience. And again, you know, it's only like it's really easy terrain, but the conditions are challenging. So, you know, I was doing most of the leading and um, when as we're hiking up, there was another party of like four people who were turning around and we were just on the scree field. You know, we weren't even near the technical climbing and they turned to me not my partner, they go to me, like, oh, you might want to be careful. It gets really steep up there. And I was like, dude, I'm the fucking rope gun. Like, I can't wait for it to get steeper because I'm over this screen nonsense, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, I get that a lot. Like, um, I have some partners who are stronger than me and some partners who are not. And generally, they're all men regardless. And I, you know, I get a lot of people who are just like, oh, well, you might want to be careful, like, because you're you're small and you're a girl or whatever assumptions they're making. You know, I sort of I run into that um, more often than you want. But generally, especially like here at Smith, I mean, I'm climbing there so much that, you know, most people, I mean, most of the regulars, like we all sort of know each other, even if we're not all roping up with each other, mm -hmm. we all each other by sight and so it's great like people are real supportive like the people will come up to me like oh I saw that you sent this route like you might want to put this one next on your list or you know give people giving suggestions that are actually helpful so you that's know, it's good when there's a positive community environment around a crag yeah. like that yeah I have I totally got into a fight with someone recently though uh <laughs> they, were, <laughs> they were top roping through the fixed gear oh, and yeah. They need to be told to knock that shit off. 
Yeah, right. And like, not only that, but like, it was on one of the most popular 510s in the park. So like the anchors are really worn out. And he was like, literally right at the anchors, he was leading up to it. And he asked his friend, he's like, do you want to TR this? And his friend said, yes. And so he just clips in through the cold shuts, but he was right there. And I was like, hey, you might want to just put your own anchor, like put your own draws in instead of TRing through the fixed gear. Yeah. And he comes down, he's like, who the fuck do you think you are? Like you fucking gym climber. You know, I was like, uh, fucking gym climber. I'm like, I paid for a lot of these bolts. Like my friends are the ones out bolting. I'm always like buying them lunch, buying them beer. Like as a thank you, I buy that. I, you know, donate to their bolting funds. Yeah. And well, like, besides that, if you got some fucking idiot that's about to set up a top rope through fixed gear and he's calling you a gym climber, it's like, yeah, dude, you're I, the one acting like you don't know what the fuck you're doing outdoors. Exactly. And I was like, excuse uh. me? Like, where did this come from? And he's like, it was so funny. He's like, I know everyone who bolts in this park. I know everyone who works for Smith Rock Climbing Guides. I was like, really? But you don't I know to hang your own fucking draws. Yeah, right? And I was like, oh, who? Because I climb with Dave, Derek, Alan. Like, I climb with all those people. And he couldn't come up with a single name of, like, anyone who worked there. I'm like, I actually know those people and I climb with them. And you're like just name dropping a little, but don't actually know any of these people. I was just like, whatever. So it was funny. I had two friends visiting from Boston and I'm like, I love this park. I'm a little protective of it. You know, like it's my home turf and I want it to be treated well. And I work on like trail building, you know, I donate to the bolting fund. Yeah. Um, well, my thought is if you climb at a public crag and that's like your crag, it's your fucking duty to be there on trail day and you should be helping for rebolting efforts and stuff because it's not easy to go out and bolt routes and it does cost developers money and you know not everybody's going to be able to you know say hey I know a developer and I was able to give him $50 or something but you can certainly show up and help you know rebuild the trail and you know uh, donate yeah. to uh, local coalitions that support that stuff and or just don't be an asshole and put extra <laughs> yeah, that, that's unnecessary. That like he was free. there and he had extra draws on his harness. Ugh. So it wasn't like I was like, come back down, re-lead. I mean, like everything was there. And so, uh, yeah, like he got in a fight with me. He starts calling me gym climber. I'm like, I don't, what does that even supposed to mean? Like, is that an insult? Like, yeah, I also climb at the gym. So true story, you know? <laughs> well, he was like, trying to make it sound like he knows more about climbing outdoors than you. From the, I mean, that's what I would imagine if somebody would hurl that as an insult. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm here five days a week and I've never seen you here before. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, if I walk into the park and I don't run into like a handful of people that I know, I'm like, is there a zombie apocalypse that's going on that I don't know about? Like, where is all my, where are all my friends, you know? Yeah. So. It's a, uh, yeah. And I mean, like I do, like I said, I am doing search and rescue now for the County. And so I'm, I'm at the park a lot. Like we're pulling, you know, just, uh, I haven't had any um, climbing accidents, but just a lot of people out hiking with like heat exhaustion, rolled ankles, you know, just minor like injuries here and there. So I, it's, that's part of my way of giving back because I just love that park so much. And it's like volunteering my time, um, you know, on my on my rest days to go out and like help out and just make sure that it's in good condition and people are enjoying themselves safely. So yeah, good yeah. on you. Um, yeah. The first <laughs> the first trail day function I went to at uh, kind of the local super popular crag in Iowa is uh, Pictured Rocks and it's really small. I mean, it's got like around it's got probably approaching 70 routes in there now because we've actually gotten stuff fixed up enough to where they're letting us bolt new routes in there. 
but initially those routes went in in the early 90s like illegally and so the dnr for a long time just had a moratorium on bolts and so it got really bad to the point where you can get on old rockclimbing.com forum posts and see where people are like spin the spinner for good luck oh god <laughs> like that sort of shit and so yeah. then the the iowa climbers coalition kind of uh, got formed and they put together a management committee and uh they actually went and replaced all the bad bolts and all that stuff. And oh, wow. the first trail day I went to was in 2000, it was spring of 2010 or not spring. It would have been probably fall anyway, 2010. And they were just so unorganized. I, I remember one guy using a shovel to pound in a piece of re-rod in the ground. Oh, <laughs> and I'm just like, what in the fuck is the climbing coalition here doing? This is just so such a waste of time. And like the guy who was in charge, like kind of looked at our group and was like, well, why don't you guys go and start picking up cigarette butts in the parking lot? And like, well, I went with Troy and he was one of the guys on the management committee that was actually going and fixing all the spinners and stuff. Cause he's like yeah. one of the rare developers in Iowa. And so he had all the gear and knowledge to do it. And yeah. so he's like, no, we're going to go and check more bolts because that was part of the plan is that the DNR wanted every single bolt checked with a wrench. Yeah. And so then I started helping out Troy doing that, going out and um, helped him check all the rest of the bolts in the park. And then slowly I kind of took on like a management committee in the park also because I didn't like the way that they had their trails there. It was uh -huh. all sections of railroad tie with then like two re-rod stakes in front of it. Oh. But then right away, yeah, right away. And then it was just like notched into a dirt hillside. And so right away, that dirt around it would erode. That step would tilt forward to the natural slope of the hill and the re-rod would be sticking out. And so you oh. had all these wobbly steps where if you fell, you could potentially get impaled through the chest, neck, you are, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so the DNR hated it. And so it was like we were slowly starting to get like better in their eyes because we were starting to take care of all the spinners. So they weren't getting as many phone calls from climbers that were, you know, cause they were getting calls from climbers being like, can we go and change this? Or are you going to change this yeah. in their eyes? They're like, we didn't even want these fucking bolts here in the first place. Maybe we should just go chop them all out. Oh no. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, the next year I went out and I'd been going out to, um, all these different crags with Troy that he, works on himself on private property. And so he had shown me his method of building trail, which I came to find out was called Appalachian style trail building. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Where you'd take a, you know, like basically a piece of cedar and lay it sideways and then have, you know, two stakes going in and then backfill it with rock and dirt and then have like kind of yeah. a slope over it. So the water just rolls off of it. Yeah. And so I tell the guy in charge, I'm like, Hey, we need to do this out of these cedar trees. And he's like, Oh, those cedar trees are growing up over the top and they're all curled. And they're really beautiful. You can't go cutting those down. I'm like, dude, I'm going on the top of the bluff, the ones that are straight up and down and dead. And they're just like a phone pole. You just got to cut the branches off. Yeah, yeah. And so totally. he, and so he, he was like not cool with it. And he's like, well, you just go and do that section over there. And, you know, if, if this goes wrong, I'm just going to blame it on you. And I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> I was like, I'll take ownership for it. Well, yeah. then when the DNR walk, walked through it, they're like, well, what's up with this section here where it's all natural with locally sourced materials that we've been saying you guys should do forever? Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. And so then I ended up getting in good with the, the Jones County Conservation Director. And then the next year he asked me to be in charge of trail day. And so I've just kind of been in charge of the Picture Rocks trail days since then. And oh, we've gotten almost awesome. every single piece of railroad tie and re-rod pulled out of that park. 
Oh, that's like, awesome. Replaced with cedar. It's taken shoo, five or six years now. <laughs> wow. But there are times where I'll go and hike through the park and I'll look at areas where we had done before and like you're not seeing people like it's still eroded out beyond the trail and it's like what the fuck are people yeah. doing walking over here why are you traipsing down this hillside why is there all this vegetation gone like have you ever walked past the bruise brothers wall at the red no i don't think Valley? so oh it's horrific it's just like hard packed dirt from the wall like up to maybe uh -oh. 50 feet back oh man it's like, it's like all trails yeah, and it's like it's because yeah. there's these areas in pictured rocks where there's like a few easy routes and people will show up with just like a fucking busload of people yeah totally then, that's what yeah at smith we have like the smith rock spring thing which is like the big like trail building and and park maintenance day and they've actually started like putting you know just deadfall over some of the social trails to like specifically keep people out of them because erosion is such a huge deal and you know we're in the desert so there's not a lot of vegetation to keep the, the dirt intact. And so like once you start adding the social trails in, it just it takes like years to recover oh, naturally. Yeah. yeah. I build those deadfalls like that and I set teams or like groups to, t uh, you know, do that. Like I'll just walk through with people. I'll be like, okay, yeah. cover this one, cover that one, cover that one. And then I'll hike back through there a couple months later and somebody has moved them aside. <laughs> and it's like, so dude, we stacked up all these dead trees here. It's not a fucking trail. That stuff so, did not fall by happenstance. This is funny. We were climbing, you know, so we climbed Three Finger Jack on Sunday. And like, you know, again, like it was like pea soup, alpine conditions. We safely descend. There's a, so to get to three, three FJ, you hike the PCT for five miles. There's a gigantic cairn where there's a climber trail that just ascends a scree field. So, you know, we come down the scree field, we rejoin the PCT, we hike out for like two miles. And then like at around like mile two and a half, we're like, what in the hell? Like nothing looks the same. But we're on this gigantic trail, but even the trail doesn't look that it has all these like, because the trail that we hiked in on was like pretty sandy. And this trail had like all these tufts of grass. And my partner were like, one that we're like, I mean, it's a huge trail. I mean, it's like three feet wide and it's a gigantic trail and it's generally going the direction we want. But we're like, are we on crack? Like, are we lost? Like, what is going on? So because the conditions were so bad, I had, like, I've been saving some GPS tracks and, like, had dropped a couple pins so that we didn't end up like that other couple and, like, fucking lost overnighting on the hill. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I look, and we're a quarter mile east of the, the trail. I'm like, how did that happen? Like, how do we get – where did this trail even come from? So we hike back to where, you know, like, the last known place where the trail is – and I'm like, where the fuck? Like, what is going on? And we're just like wandering around. Finally, this other hiker comes up. The fucking Forest Service had moved the trail a quarter mile while we were on the route. Like, how is that even a thing? Oh, we were like, crazy. we didn't know. Yeah, so they had actually built an alternative trail. Like, I don't know why, but they had built it. And then that morning, Sunday morning, they came in and filled the old trail with deadfall to redirect people to the new one. But, like, we didn't know that was happening. There's no signs or anything. And we were just, wow. like, instinctually, we're, like, something is not right. Like, it's an out-and-back trail, you know? It's not like you're doing a loop. We're, like, why does this look so different? Like, everything was, like, it was, like, 90% the same but not quite. <laughs> but why would you ever think, like, an entire trail would pick up and move by a quarter mile to the east? Like, it was just not something that ever entered our minds. Yeah, that's, like, some Twilight Zone shit. I mean, who right? would have thought that that would happen? <laughs> 
And it was like a big trail. Like, so they had weed whacked the whole trail in and then just the last connecting piece hadn't been built. So that's what they finished building. So we're like, if that other person hadn't come, I mean, probably we would have finally just been like, fuck it. We can't, we don't know where the other trail is. And so we hiked back to the point and you can see just like this huge amount of deadfall just blocking the old trail. Like once we realized what was happening, but it was crazy because for like, like, 25 30 minutes my buddy and i are just like what the fuck is going on like what why why does everything look so different (laughs) so that's just wild (laughs) yeah right we were just like what like why are i and i'm laughing because i'm like supposed to be like search and rescue so i'm like always out like last friday like last week like we were looking for like like a bunch of lost hikers and i'm like who are these assholes who managed to get lost on no not really sometimes you're just like how did you get lost (laughs) and then i'm like hey dude that's me like i got lost on like the yellow brick road like it was such a gigantic trail and i got lost (laughs) (laughs) gives you a little sympathy for those other people who manage to get lost too well yeah and you know especially in things like the backcountry it only takes one little mistake yeah totally and especially if you're the type of person that'll ignore that little you know voice in your head like you and your friend were like this trail isn't right (laughs) yeah and it was it was funny because as we were walking we were both like we both had this like gut instinct that something was not quite right but it had also rained pretty steadily so i was like and the the trail coming in was pretty sandy and loamy so it's like maybe it just looks different because it's muddy you know so like for like 15 minutes we convinced ourselves it was just as the trail got muddy and looked different and then we're like no it's just something it's just not i was like we didn't go over this hill and we didn't make this turn and you know it was just like something is really weird (laughs) (laughs) so it's funny we had our own little adventure but we managed to figure our way out of that one (laughs) yeah that's one of the things that i really dig about iowa is that 99 percent of it is privately owned and so the public lands we have are actually pretty small but they're so small that there's no excuse to get lost in them (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's like did you look at an overhead map before you came in (laughs) if if you're climbing in iowa there's a stream or a river that you're climbing right next to follow where that goes you will hit a farm field or a road at some point (laughs) that's what that's what we've got like the three sisters wilderness i mean so deschutes county where i live like we've got mountains lakes streams you know high desert cliffs and so there's just it's so funny there's so many people who come just for like to go hiking or to go climbing and uh yeah it's it's pretty easy to get lost because you're just out in these wilderness areas and we don't have a lot of great cell phone service you know like you get out to three sisters and cell phone service isn't really that great so unless you're prepared or looked at a topo, you know, you can get pretty turned around. And I don't know. I mean, it's funny because we have people who are constantly lost on South sister. So there's three mountains. There's South sister, middle sister, and North sister. So if you, and you hike up the, the, from the Southern trailhead up to the peak of South sister. And so I just, I, I mean, apparently it happens all the time. And I know this because we've rescued people, but like literally all you have to do is hike away from middle and north sister. Like you're there, you're looking at them and you just hike back south. And I'm like, how do you get lost? <laughs> it's just not possible. 
But yeah, I don't know. I mean, we have so many landmarks. You know, we got like um, Mount Washington, we got Three Finger Jack, we've got Broken Top. And so from the summit, I mean, if it's cloudy, obviously you can't see anything. But usually from the summit, it's pretty easy to orient yourself because you see all the different mount, like the Cascades and all the peaks look so different. So, yeah, it's just astounding to me how, how often people are getting lost out here. I think it's like all those city folk come out and just don't they think one mountain looks just like the other or something. <laughs> it could be an issue not coming prepared. And yeah. I mean, how many people these days know how to actually read a paper map? Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, you know, take we, bearings uh, with a compass and stuff. <laughs> we're, we're, you know, the eclipse is happening on Monday yeah. and I like the New York Times, the National like Oceanic and uh, Atmospheric Administration, like NOAA and NASA, they've all said, like from what I've read, Madras, which is like uh, 20 miles north of me, is supposed to be the best place in the U.S. to see the eclipse because we have a 90 percent chance of clear skies because it just doesn't rain here in the summer. So it's a town of 5,000 and they're expecting 250,000 people to come visit, mm. which is like. 250,000 people who have never been to Madras before. And it's like, we're expecting like, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they're going to be like out in the woods getting lost. And then for two minutes on Monday, they're going to be watching the eclipse. And so we were just like, we should just go to South Sister and put signs up. Like trail is this way. (laughs) (laughs) So how far is it from where you park to South Sister or to like Um, the peak or whatever? It's about, I think it's about a 12 mile round trip. So it's like six miles up. Yeah, no, it's not bad at all. And that's so, right out of Bend? Uh, it's about an hour. It's about 45 minutes west of Bend. So it's right on the border of uh, Deschutes County. And, um, yeah, it's like it's right, I guess, like one side. I guess South Sister is within Deschutes County. But then, like, the next mountain over, like Three Finger Jack, is in Lynn County. But, yeah, it's all it's all sort of – we all – like, we had a um, – a guy went missing in Lynn County, actually just near the sisters, just near Three Finger Jack. And, you know, we had uh, Eugene Mountain Rescue came out, Deschutes County, Benton County, Corvallis came out, uh, Lynn County, Lane County. So we had search and rescue from like six or seven different state agencies, which is just really nice to see so many people come out looking for just this one guy. Um, and of course, I joked around because Multnomah, Portland, which is like the most populous area in the state, you know, it's got like a million people. They didn't send anyone. And I was like, you guys are assholes. <laughs> Would their whole search and rescue have all been hipsters? <laughs> totally. <laughs> we probably should just put like, I don't know, like little hipster traps places. And then they would have likely to like free range coffee or something. And they would have showed up. <laughs> they should have like skinny jeans and like a Ghostbusters <laughs> shirt with like a leather vest over it and a fedora. <laughs> Like fucking leave. Yeah. <laughs> That's so mean. <laughs> but uh yeah, we uh we have we've got a lot of people coming out here from Portland and so I texted some of my friends from Portland. I'm like, hey, maybe you guys should stop coming into shoots and getting lost all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. Some of your some of your star out here to help us. Ah, so. you keep talking about Deschutes and it makes me want a black butte porter. Yeah, we've got great beer. That's the other thing we have. No, <laughs> great kayaking, great like just mountains, you know, mountains hiking, and we've got amazing beer out here. So it's definitely, definitely a place to put on your list to visit. Oh, absolutely. Before... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. that would be too cool. Yeah, Lindsay and I have been talking a lot lately about wanting to someday work up to being able to do like the uh, Pacific Crest Trail. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so, like, you know, it's one thing watching YouTube videos, and then I'm like, 
know, like I can hike in Iowa yeah. <laughs> where it's really small. I would love to hike places like this, but it's like, I need to learn a lot more. About yeah. This. I, but I mean, it looks so beautiful and I'd love to go hiking more where there's mountains. Yeah. I think the PCT of the like big through hikes, so there's like the PCT, the CDT and the AT. I think actually the PCT has the least amount of elevation gain, even though like there are significant mountainous sections, I think it's the least amount of elevation gain and loss is what I was told. So if, if you're thinking about one of the big through hikes, like I think the PCT is the one to pick, oh, nice. but anyway, yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, you get like the desert down in, uh, you know, California, and then you get like the, the mountains in the Sierras, and then you get the Pacific Northwest rainforest. And so I'm not, it's funny, people ask me if I hike, I'm like, only in case of emergency, which is like for search and rescue, it's, you know, emergency. or, and I tell people, I was like, climbers hate hiking so much, we call it the approach. Like we yeah. won't even that we're hiking we're approaching you know so <laughs> this past week i hiked 62 miles between Are you just shitting me? To approach yeah just trying to get to climbs trying to find lost hikers i went on two rescues and then um just you know like uh, just getting to more climbs or like getting lost or you know like this this hell approach that we had on mount stewart where we had to take this long detour so yeah it was crazy i was like i'm so not a hiker and i fucking hiked 62 miles last week plus i work a full-time job you know so i was like squeezing in all this in between like everything else and um yeah, it was just like, yeah, because people ask me, they're like, you hike? I'm like, absolutely not. I'm like, actually, I just hiked 60 miles in a week. So, yeah. yeah you're but, working like a full-time job, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm working a full-time. I'm, a, you know, I'm doing the consulting thing, but I'm, I'm full-time. And uh, it's interesting. So, until I joined Search and Rescue, like, I had never hiked any of the PCT because it's, you know, not really – where you go for like a lot of the PCT sort of skirts the peaks, like it sort of goes around and uh, like it goes through the mountains, but that's not, maybe you're hiking the PCT for like a mile and then you're splitting off and going to the climbers trail. So this summer after I joined search and rescue, I've done like so many sections of the PCT now, like so many sections of the Oregon PCT. I'm just like, I mean, I'm practically in a section hike the Oregon PCT pretty soon. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. Pulling hikers off that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah see that's why i would need to get more hiking skills like yeah. wilderness hiking skills <laughs> you know though it's like some of it's not rocket science so the first guy that the first rescue i had off the pct it was a hiker who ran out of food right but it's a pct it's pretty well trafficked and this is the high season right now so instead of like asking any fellow hiker or like hiking the trailhead or something he foraged for wild mushrooms that ended up being poisonous oh, so then he calls 911 because he's like puking his brains out. And, you know, we had to helicopter him off the PCT because he just, he couldn't. He was like, so, it was like he was really drunk. You know, like he just, he was throwing up. He was like incapacitated. He was dehydrated. And he just like, and we could have walked him out, but it was going to be ugly. You know, it would take really long. And so we just airlifted him out. And I was like, did you never watch Into the Wild? Like, don't eat wild plants that you don't know about like, yeah well, that and mushrooms on top of that it's like come yeah. on yeah and at first when the call came in because we they you know they call 911 and then you know the, it sends it goes through like the somebody whoever dispatch decides if it's like a SAR thing or a police or a fire thing so we don't always get all the details so we just heard they ate mushrooms so we're like oh it's just someone having a bad trip we're like oh <laughs> 
going out because someone's eating like a bunch of psychedelic mushrooms and and it turns out no he just ran out of food and was foraging we're like i mean i don't know what i'd be more mad about you know (laughs) because as we were hiking in a suite and he couldn't really tell us where he was and he had this old flip phone that didn't wasn't transmitting gps coordinates and so he was really like in and out of consciousness and couldn't tell us where he was so we're like it's good we could be searching all night for this guy as we hike in, we run into like 15 people coming out the other way, like they're done for the day. So there were like tons of other people on the trail that he could have just been like, man, I'm starving. Could you loan me a cliff bar? And instead he was like, I'm just going to go eat these wild mushrooms that I have no idea if they're safe or not. That's a mixture of pride and stupidity. Yeah. Yeah. Un- unclear which one was like winning there. Stupidity, <laughs> pride. <laughs> You gotta, I mean, like, the thing that I've always heard about foraging for food is d- don't try and forage for mushrooms unless you really are an expert on what mushrooms you can eat. Yeah. Because you are, like, really playing Russian roulette on one that might poison you, one that might nourish you, or, you know, if you're really lucky, like, find a psilocybin one. But if you just happen to find <laughs> one of those out in the woods, like, you have so much luck you shouldn't have run out of food in the first place. And that's what's so it's funny because I have a friend at, who climbs at the Gunks who does a lot of like mushroom picking. And I had no idea. Like, I don't for I like, I, I forge it like fucking Trader Joe's, right? Like, that's the extent <laughs> I But uh, she was saying actually, it's not even just the mushroom, but it's what it's growing on. So, like, certain mushrooms, like the poisonous one and the edible one, look pretty similar. And the way you can distinguish it is, like, some of them only grow on, like, downed pine trees or downed cedar trees. And I had no idea that was a thing. So if you're in an area where you don't know the forest and you don't know what, like, the trees look like, then it's even more dangerous. Because you'd be like, oh, this looks just like chicken of the woods, except it's growing on a hickory, which it's not supposed to. Oh, fuck, that's not chicken of the woods. I mean, or something like that. So if you're in a if you're in your home turf, and you're like, oh, this is a deciduous forest, and it's all oak or pine or maple, and you can identify the trees that it's growing on. But if you're in an area where you're not ever you're not familiar with it, like you're really playing Russian roulette. And I had no idea it was, I just thought you like sort of memorized what they look like, but she's like, no, it's not just knowing what they look like, but also knowing like the ecology of the forest. So yeah, I'm just like, again, like I, I got my cliff bars, I got like my honey stingers and you know, we also, we've got like wild berries and stuff that those are pretty easy to distinguish. So that's, that's sort of what I stick to. Yeah. Wild raspberries and blackberries are always fun to find. Yeah, yeah totally. I was, we were out searching for a lost guy last week and, um, I, I must have eaten like probably like two pints of raspberries as I was searching for them. Nice. <laughs> I was like, well, if I'm going to be out all day, I might as well like snack a little as I'm hiking. No, no kidding. So, yeah. I've always thought it'd be cool that like my, my dream has always been if I were to win the lottery, I'd want to buy one of these like little sections of land off a farmer that, you know, for the most part, these Iowa farmers, when they got rock on their land, it's more just a nuisance to them, you know, because yeah. it's shit they got to go around. They got to worry about livestock falling off of. And so that's my plan is if I ever win the lottery, which I suppose would have to start with me playing it a lot more regularly. But yeah, <laughs> but if I were to win it, I'd want to get, you know, a piece of land like that. And I was thinking how cool it would be that, you know, plant fruits like that, like in the belay areas. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know? That's a great idea. Yeah. And also, raspberries got hella thorns on them, so it's going to stick people to the trails. Yeah. That is a great idea. Do you, I mean, do raspberries 
Do raspberries grow in Iowa? I have no idea. I'm totally oh, yeah. Oh, they do? Okay. Yeah, no, we get them growing wild, like out in our crags. You just got to go walk around and find them. Yeah. So this is funny, like speaking of the lottery. So I went, you know, over Memorial Day, I road trip with some friends to Moab. So it's like a 14 hour drive. So, you know, we're, we're like listening to the 90s channel and then we're listening to podcasts. And eventually, like, I have a couple, like, you know, road trip games, like one of my standard road trip games, because I live in Oregon and the whole Oregon Trail thing is like, if we get stuck, like, who do we eat? Right. So (laughs) which of the people in the car do we eat first? So that's always a fun one. But uh, one of the other ones that my buddy and I, as as we're driving down the Moab, did was like, how much how much do you have to win in the lottery to like, you know, retire and quit and just like be happy? And so he was like, oh, I'm a simple guy. I only need like three million dollars. I'm like three million. That's it. I was like, my, my number's like 20 because you, you know, lose half in taxes and then I got to pay off my, you know, my parents' like house and their retirement, got to give my my niece and nephew a good college fund, you know, so I'm like, and then yeah. obviously I'm plenty to play. And it was so funny because we're in Moab, so this guy that I'm climbing with, he's never been there before. And we see one of those dune buggies drive by. So he's like, he just turns to me, he goes, four million. And then we see like some other like really expensive toy drive by. He's like, five million, like. By the end of the weekend, he was like, I'm going to need at least 17 million lottery. (laughs) (laughs) So just funny to hear that, that you've already pre-spent your lottery winnings that you're not even playing. Oh, yeah. I've already thought about it a lot. (laughs) But like, that's really the, like a piece of land like that and like a nice, like log cabin style house, like overlooking one of the walls. Yeah. Like that'd be a must. But otherwise, like I wouldn't be like, somebody would go out and buy like a Lamborghini yeah, or, totally. like, or like build a house that's because in, in my mind is like if the bigger the house you build the more you're going to pay in property taxes and the more you're going to pay to maintain it the more you're going to pay to heat and cool it so yeah no. why build bigger than you need I just need I need like a tricked out sprinter van but then I also need a house in Spain because that's my favorite place in the world to climb and oh, then oh yeah you know, and then I, I need to be able to get around the crag, so I need a car there. Not anything fancy, just like, you know, a little, like, one of those little cute little Euro, like, fuel-efficient things. But, you know, I'm going to need a car there. And then, like, and then you're thinking, like, well, do I want to drive my Sprinter to go grocery shopping? So I still have my Subaru, so you know, have to keep that one. And then all of a sudden, you're like, you've already spent a couple million dollars, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't need a lot of stuff. I just like, I want my Sprinter van for the U S and my house in like, uh, you know, in Catalonia and then I'd be good. So <laughs> when was the first time you went to Spain for climbing? Uh, it was actually last year was, and I just completely fell in love and it wasn't just the climbing, but man, I just love the culture. Like, so we roll into Margalef probably around like 2 PM. Nothing's fucking open. Like everyone's taking their siesta. Like, and it. the, are, uh, yeah, I was just like, these are my people. Like, <laughs> I can get into this, you know? And, um, like, and we just, like, so it was funny because we had in um, Syriana, we just stayed at a little climbing refuge. And the two guys who were in the dorm with us were from, like, Norway, I think. And then, you know, we sort of went our separate ways. And we ran into them again in, like, downtown Margalef, which is completely deserted at two. And we're like, have you found anything open? Like, we're just trying to find some food or somewhere to stay. And they're like, no. So we're like, all right, well, we sort of split up. An hour later, we we meet up again just by happenstance in this deserted square. And we're like, have you found anything open? And they're like, nope, still nothing. <laughs> and you, this is amazing. Like, the entire town just, like, people take their siestas 
Like seriously. And then there's ham every like hamon, like for, for days, you know, just everywhere. And I mean, I just, I freaking love Spain. And so I was just like, I love the culture. I love the climbing. Spanish boys were cute. You know, I mean, like, what what was there not to like? It was just, it was awesome. So the, you know, the funniest part was that um, my partner, so obviously people can't see me, but, you know, I'm Korean American and my partner I went with is black. And we were like two girls would roll up to the crag and we would get like quadruple T. <laughs> <laughs> They were like, who are those people? You should have asked them if they wanted to hold hands and sing We Are the World. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. You know, climbing isn't, the, the outdoor community isn't super diverse to begin with. So we would roll up. And, you know, also we were just two girls like out cragging. Um, and so it was so funny. People were just like, and it's very clear, like we're loud and we're American. And, you know, but like, yeah, <laughs> in like all these crags in Spain and just start sending some hard shit. And people are like, whoa, where did you guys come from? <laughs> that's awesome yeah so that was that was really fun and the stone over there looks so amazing and oh like, all the different climbing flicks i've seen like like we get some of that dark blue streaked stone here in yeah. Iowa, but not to the level like there i mean it's it's unbelievable and like the tufa features that they have on the stone there it's oh my god the 3d climbing just, yeah it's just amazing looking limestone over there you know what's so cool? It's so funny. So I was in El Choro, and there was this route that I climbed, this Poema de Roca. And these German guys were like, yeah, when you get when you get tired, you know, they're like, you can use your head. I was like, all right, like, think it through or something. And I realized, <laughs> Metaphorically? Like, literally, like, you can stem out on these tufas and stick your head into a hole and oh. just get, like, a no-hands-rest stem. But, like, you have to be, like, short enough to get into that hole. So I was like, oh, this is what they – I just thought they were, like, English was funny. But they were literally like, no, use your head. Like, stick your head in the hole. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was – but it's so funny because, like, we don't have stuff like that, at least here, you know. And you have to, like, look behind you. You've got all these, like, big tufas and stalactites. And, yeah, it's just – and, like, you know, I've climbed in um, Mexico. Like, I've been to the Potrero, like, three times. And it's, you know, it's really fun there, but like the limestone is such good quality in Spain. Like there's, you know, there's shit that breaks in, in Mexico and it, it's, um, you know, like some of it's not the best quality limestone ever. And the limestone in Spain was just like bullet hard, like really frictiony, you know, it was just, it was such high quality. And so I think that's the thing that made it really fun also was that you could just like really crank down on these pockets and uh, just really, really interesting climbing. Like, I just, I loved it there. That's why I'm like, I just, I got to go back. I left and I was like thinking about how I could get back there again. <laughs> you got another trip coming up there pretty soon? Hopefully, you're, yeah. You're kind of planning it out? Yeah. So again, like hopefully going to Greece in, uh, I am trying to buy a house overseas somewhere. So, you know, like my one, I've never climbed in Greece and my one reservation is like, you know, their economy sort of in the shitter and Greece seems like the type of place where they would just be like, sorry, we're taking your house away from you. That Whereas was like, the first thing I was thinking when you right? were talking about yeah. buying real estate in Greece. Yeah. Whereas Spain, I feel like they have a little bit more of like rule of law where they'd be like, well, you're a foreigner. It's going to be a hassle. But, you know, not like in Greece. We're just like, sorry, we've seized your property. <laughs> so, 
I do want to check out Greece, but I think I might just, I might try and buy a little place in uh, Spain and, and, you know, spend like half the year there. I think as an American, you spend up to 180 days in Spain without a, with just with on a tourist visa. Wow. So yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I've, I've looked into it a little bit if you can't tell. <laughs> would that jive with your current job or would you have to like switch that up? Yeah, well, I'm thinking with the time difference, right? Like, so I would work East Coast hours, which means I could climb all morning until 5 p.m. And then I would work from 5 till midnight. And actually, Spain is a really late culture. Like, people don't even go out till like 10 or 11 for dinner. And so, I mean, not that I'd be like, I'm not like a vampire, wouldn't be out all night. But, uh, you know, like you could like get your work in and still like go out a little bit, like if you wanted to, like it wouldn't be that late. And then I could sleep in till like 10 or 11, like get a couple hours of climbing in still, you know, and you're in fucking Spain, like a little siesta. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, I'm looking into it. I haven't I haven't. It's like it would be pretty disruptive, but you know, I've been looking into it a little bit and seeing I actually had a, um, a realtor start looking for some properties for me. Um, so we'll see what happens. I, I, but I want to do another like sort of reconnaissance trip because like I said, I was saying how like we went to El Toro. We're like, Oh my God, it's amazing. And then we got to Syriana. We're like, fuck El Toro. Then I got to Margulaf. I'm like, I'm never leaving. But like, what if I feel like that about Oleana, you know, (laughs) So I want to spend a couple of months there and just like check out more of the crags because, you know, like, um, they're, they're a couple, they're a couple, um, hours away from each other. So just figuring out where exactly you want to be, I think, I think it's a, is a good place. And there's, there's just a lifetime of climbing there. So, oh yeah. Like several lifetimes of climbing. I mean, that's the epicenter for the hardest climbing in the world yeah. right now. Yeah. And probably I, for the foreseeable future, when you just look at those cliff formations, it's, I mean, it's, it's really striking. Unbelievable. And so it's funny because a lot of those routes have permadraws on them. So, I mean, whatever, I got on a 514 because it had a permadraw. So, you know, like I stick with the first bolt. I like, I got halfway the first bolt. I'm like, okay, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) So the 514 was right off the ground, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I know. It was probably like 513, but it was so, but it's so fun because like, you know, I was working these like two, like 12 C's and then just literally like, a hundred yards away, there's these like nine, eight, these 14s that are going up. And it's just really cool to just see it. It's just so inspiring. It just makes you want to like try hard, you know? And so like, it was just fun to just fuck around on something that hard. Yeah, I, I, the hardest, the hardest route I ever got on was like 13 C. I think it was at Tennessee wall. Cause I had permadraw. So I'm like, oh, there's no commitment. Right. So I cruised the first three, four bolts. Maybe it was only like five eleven up to there. So I'm at like bolt three or, or maybe like bolt four and I look up and I just go lower. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, I got to the 513 section and it's ridiculous. <laughs> I was like, I'm not even going to waste anyone's time and try, you know, like it's nice to see it and just be like, you know, like right now I'm climbing like mid to hard 12. So I'll get on a hard 12 and I'll like, I, I can, you know, may not send it, but I can like envision the moves and this like hard 13, I was like, I can't, I don't even like, what do you want me to dino to the sloper undercling? Like, I just, I couldn't even figure out what the fuck you're supposed to do. So I was like, all right, I just, I don't have to waste my belayer's time even like flailing on it. That's the, that's the way I look at 12s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember me and my buddy Pat were watching a guy climb this, uh, I think it was like maybe a 12B, 12C, something like that. 
and like the crux part was maybe 20 25 30 feet off the ground or so and from where we were sitting we could we were watching him pretty easily and i was watching his feet and i didn't know what the hell he was standing on and so i turned to pat and i was like what is he standing on pat's like his imagination (laughs) i'm like that's what it looks like because i'm clearly looking at his toe and i don't know what he's standing on It's just like the terrible smedge of death or something. Something like that. But that's also kind of like, depending on where you go in Iowa, the limestone can get to the point where it gets so bullet, the the pockets will all but disappear. Oh, really? Yeah. And so then, you know, it's challenging to get your hands past there. But then once you get up to it and then it's like, oh, shit, there's like a three, four foot section here where there are literally no feet. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, you are finding crazy little smears like that. And then you might be dealing with just these heinous, tiny little pockets. Yeah. And a lot of times it'll be, you know, just slightly overhanging too. And so it gets real technical and powerful. And Yeah. So you can't even just like stand up on your feet. Like you really have to like, yeah, you yeah. can't just like lean in. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's so, I just love, like, there's so many different areas. Like I've, I, like, I just, you know, I mean, it's almost like I just can't, like, I go to Moab and I'm like, oh my God, I just love the sandstone. And then I go up to the North Cascades. I'm like, oh, fucking granite. It's amazing. I go to Spain. I'm like, oh, limestone's my jam, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And then of course, like, you know, I mean, I used to climb a lot the New River Gorge with that really hard, not all sandstone. And like, that's just, it's just everywhere you go. It's so fun because you just learn different techniques. And then all of a sudden you have all these different moves in your toolbox and uh, so this past weekend, I'm climbing. My friend just bolted a new route. We think it's going to go at like 12A. Um, so he's still bolting it. And like it, the route needs a little bit of cleaning. Um, and so I was out there. There were three of us. So one of the guys is like 6'1 with like a plus three. And I'm like 5'3 with a minus one. And the how we climbed it was it couldn't have been more different. Like same route. There's no real established like beta on it yet because it's only three of us have even given it attempts. And, uh, you know, there's one section where, like, I just got my feet really high, like, did a foot hand match and just reached up for the jug. And everyone just started laughing. They're like, we would be so balled up. They're like, we look like a giraffe in a phone booth trying to do something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Short people beta is really awesome. I love watching it. I mean, I can't do it. But (laughs) one of the gals that we climb with is like maybe like five, five and a half, something like that. And yeah, she comes up with really awesome beta at times that none of the rest of us would think about because we can just reach past it. Yeah. But then when when we'd be belaying her, we're like, okay, well, this is the way we do it. And like, you know, it's really tough for her. And then she kind of figures it out. And then to watch her do it, it's like, holy shit. And then like, we'll go up and try it. (laughs) It just doesn't work. So that's what's that's what's so fun about this new route that my buddy put up like so you know there's the face climbing section and then there's this little like dihedral and there's like two finger pocket pods like in the crack that I in the corner that I can get my fingers into that nobody even has a chance. So they're like slapping the arete. It's like really sort of slimy and and polished. And they've got this terrible crimp gaston to this like undercling. And I was just like, but why wouldn't you just use those pockets in the corner? (laughs) And it's like, yeah, I'm small, but also like I can get my hands into so much shit that other people or, you know, like the the one of the roots that my project that I just sent, like I just match on this 
on this crimp that everyone else is like, it's a quarter pad crimp. I'm like, you mean the one that I got four fingers on? Like I got two fingers on my left and two fingers on my right and I matched on it. And they're just like, you know, that's ridiculous. Like no one can get, no one can get that many fingers on. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's funny when some, when some dudes will get threatened by that and they'll yeah. use that as like an excuse. Like yeah. if, if you send it before them and they're like, well, you only said it cause you got small fingers. It's like, Are you saying I sent it because I have better genetics than you? Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) Yeah, it's fun. So like I said, I've been, I've been climbing some of these roots that my friends have put up. And so, you know, my, my friend, Chris, who bolted a couple of these roots, he was just saying how fun it was to watch me climb because I I climb it so differently than the other like four or five people who have sent this, his roots so far. And one of them, you know, like I got to the crux and I kept falling because I kept trying to like five times in a row, I kept trying to do it the way everyone else was doing it. And then I realized like, you know, and actually counterintuitively, I just skipped the hold because I was so stretched out and I just dead pointed to one further because the one that the one that I was going to was a really, really terrible crimp that you have to go static to it. But if you go past that, you can just uh, dead point to it's a it's a sloper, but it's a lot bigger, so it's a you know bigger target. And I was so stretched out going to the the crimp, and so counterintuitive, like like being short, I almost never try and skip holds. But I'm like fuck this crimp, like I'm just gonna skip it and dead point to the sloper. And all of a sudden, like it just it, I said I was like what? Like I just I skipped a hold and I set this thing and and you know my Belair was just like he's like I've never seen anyone do it that way I was like yeah I was just I was just too stretched out I was like literally starfished on the route and could not make another move starfished yeah. and I was like oh this is the worst I was like I will never fall but I cannot move at all you know <laughs> so yeah that's like sort of my signature move is a starfish and then I bitch about being short. <laughs> I've never heard the starfish before. That's really yeah. funny. I can just picture it. Yeah, right. <laughs> just up on the wall. <laughs> Almost looking like you got launched out of a catapult and you splatted yeah, there. Totally. And you're just like, ah, and you're like stuck there. You know, those like, <laughs> like, I think of it as like those. And then like sometimes the fall is really slow motion. And you know those things, I don't know if your kids have them, where you throw it against the wall and it's like those slimy, sticky things. And they sort of. Yeah, and that's what I feel like I'm like pasted against the wall, and then you just sort of fall backwards. You're like, oh, and I'm falling. <laughs> that's freaking hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, I think just like you got to be able to laugh at laugh at some of the predicaments you get into sometimes when you're climbing. You're just like, God, how did I get in this? Like, I'm like this pretzel up here, and you're just like, oh, just time to let go. And and, and there's no way to unwind some of those yeah. moves. Time to let go. Just try over, reset. <laughs> and some of those can result in a scary fall though, too. You yeah. Know, if, you, if you're on the wall like odd like that, and if you fall and get the rope under your leg or totally. Yeah. Freaky stuff. Yeah. I was on a route. um, I've been working this route called bolt from the blue at Smith and it's, it's a 12 a it's not that hard, but it's a power endurance route. It's like 17 bolts. So it's, you know, pretty long. And my onside attempt, I fell at the second to last bolt. And then my last, I've I've tried it twice now. So my, my second or three times. So my last attempt, I also fell at the second, at the second to last bolt, just I was so pumped. 
And so you're pretty much through the crux at that point. And it was funny because you're sort of like, you know, you're, you've got like, and I, the bolt was at my face and I just could not clip it. I was like, oh man, like falling. But I was, you know, like sort of clinging onto a crimp with my right hand and I had my right hip into the wall. So I'm sort of sideways. And I was like trying to clip, trying to clip, trying to clip. I'm like, I'm so pumped. I'm going to fall. But instead of like squaring up and clearing my fall, I just like fell sideways because I was so tired. And uh, I mean, it was fine. Like I was totally fine. My Belair gave me a soft catch and he's like, what the fuck was that? I was like, I don't know. I was just too tired. (laughs) And it was a planned fall. Like, I mean, I tried three times to clip the bolt and I couldn't. So it wasn't like I got up there and I missed the hold or something broke. Like I was like, okay, I'm letting go. And then I just space cadetted and didn't like, you know, so I came in like a little bit sideways instead of like, you know, uh, square in. And he's like, what was it? He's like, did I do something wrong? I'm like, no, I, I'm an asshole. Like, <laughs> I knew 100% that I was going to fall. In fact, I let go and I just, I was just too tired to like do anything about it. <laughs> so Man, he's like. I saw a guy take a fall that he came into the wall on his side. Yeah. Oh, God. He, he got to the top of this route and he was way off to the right of where he should have been to have like a really good stance. Yeah. So there's no holds for your right hand on this particular route. If you go up and I told him that before he left the ground, I'm like, don't go to the right or you're going to find yourself in a bad position and you're going to barn door. And so he felt himself starting to barn door. And so he put his finger through the bolt. Oh no. To hold himself. And so I saw him do it because he was probably only like 40 feet up or so. Yeah. I I was like, don't do that. Don't do that. And so he took yeah. his finger out and then the barn door like started again. And yeah. so the dude just started like clawing at the wall. Like uh, he started, this was the first time he'd ever led. It was the first time he'd ever climbed outside. Oh man. Yeah. And he was on like a super polished five, eight. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, he came off the wall and this route's called whippersnapper because it's a little bit of a run out, like as far as Iowa goes, a little bit yeah. of a run out up to the anchors. And so he fell like half the distance of this route. So he probably took like a 20. Oh my God. He, he took a 20 footer and he came into the wall sideways. Oh my God. Oh, it was bad. He came into the wall sideways. His wife was belaying him and she was a lot lighter. And so she was tied to a, a fallen tree at the base of the route. So he didn't get any sort of dynamic catch. Oh man. Either. And he hit the wall so hard it knocked his eyeglasses off of him. Oh my God. And he was just laying there and he'd been climbing in shorts that kind of got hiked up by his harness. And so he was bleeding from both of his knees oh and from God. his fingertips. And like, yeah, she lowered him like a sack of potatoes. Yeah. God, I, felt, I mean, I you, felt so you bad must, for the guy. You must watch like Weekend Whipper, right? Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. watched those. <laughs> I have a macabre so fascination with like, them. Oh my God. I just, I watch them like, like, I just can't stop watching. I'm like, oh, I have to not watch it again. I'm like, no, I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> but uh, I was at a J Tree like two years ago with some friends. And um, oh, it was so funny. So every day, like, we each, you know, there's a bunch of us, and every, we all had sort of picked like a route that we wanted to like either project or just get on. And so, you know, like, um, one of my one of my partners picked Illusion Dweller, which is this amazing like five ten mid five ten line. I picked Heart of Darkness, which was this like really really beautiful splitter eleven crack. And then our one friend picked this route, Gold Streaks, and it's sort of like a two hour hike into the middle of nowhere. But it's supposed to be really good, right? So we get out there, and he takes one look at the bolts, and he goes, fuck no. It's just, like, 20 feet between bolts. He's like, no fucking way. Like, I'm not climbing it. <laughs> and I look at him like, are you 
fucking kidding? Like, you you hiked us out here and you're not going to climb it? I was like, somebody's going to climb it. I was like, we didn't hike all the way out here for two hours in the sun for nobody to climb it. So they all just, and I'm, I'm throwing a little bit of a hissy fit. And they all look at me and they're like, well, why don't you put it up? I'm like, shit. Like, you're right. <laughs> Get after <laughs> it, rope gun. <laughs> I just talked so much smack about how someone had to climb it that I was climbing it, right? So I guess I'm like 10A. So, you know, like, it's well within all of our limits. Um so I start leading up, but like, it's so run out. Like you just don't really know where you're going. And so I got a little bit off route. I got a little bit to the right. And then I see the bolt line is like way to my right, like, or way to my left, like 15 feet. So now I'm, I'm like, you know, 20 feet above my last bolt and 15 feet away from my, to the, like, I'm just not anywhere on a route. Oh, and so I'm no. like, Oh my God, I'm like in the, like in no man's land trying to like traverse. And I'm like, this is horrendous. And so I, I yelled out in my belayer and my friends are like out on a bluff watching, right? Like across a little gully. And uh, I yelled at my Blair. I'm like, hey, like, how is this falls? It, it's pretty clean. I was like, it's going to be a big one if I if I can't find a way around it. And I just didn't want to you couldn't down climb it. And he's just like, all right. He's like, clear the runway because he was going to run back and take in slack if I fell. And then my friends all start yelling. They're like, stop, stop. Don't move. I'm like, what? What? And they're like, we're getting our cameras out in case you make weekend whipper. I'm like, and I'm up there like, you guys are such assholes. <laughs> we want to make you internet famous for something really embarrassing. <laughs> I'm like, you guys are jerks. <laughs> Did you end up so, making it to the bolt? <laughs> I did. And I actually have some really great pictures of me like on the like craziest run out of my life, you know. Um, but it was funny because I was like, what? Like, does someone have beta? Like, they see something I don't know. And they're just like, no, they're just trying to get it on video. <laughs> a 20 foot run out. That'd be like a 40 foot fall plus rope stretch plus however much uh, other slack was in the system. Yeah, it was like, I'd say yeah. <laughs> it was a bit of a, like 15 to 17. But I mean, it felt like forever. And like uh, I said, I had pictures where like, so Tracy, my friend who was like, don't move. We want to, we want to get it on film. She like, she sent me a picture where she circled the last bolt. And like, I'm not, it's probably, I'm probably 15 feet above the bolt. And I still have about like four or five more feet to get to the next bolt. And I was just, and I have this look where I'm looking down at it. And I just have this sort of like look of horror on my face. I'm like, mm. where have like, my life decisions have gone wrong where I find my <laughs> Dude, I've done that before on lead. I've been freaking out and I'm like, why are you here right yeah. now leading this route? <laughs> why are you here right now completing a highball boulder problem? <laughs> I know. Like, you weren't I even going to do this today. At that point, I'm thinking back to that decision I made in that toilet where I hitchhiked to Mammoth. And I was like, I could have been like doing something else and I would have never started climbing. Why aren't I snowboarding right now? Yes. Right? I could be having hot cocoa in a lodge. Seriously. Like... You know, I mean, I worked in one of the restaurants, so, like, I was friends with the bartender, so, you know, you go in after after snowboarding all day, you know, get, like, a nice hot toddy, like, unwind, there's, like, all these really awesome hot springs out in, out in Mammoth in, like, central and northern California, so we'd, like, go snowboarding all day, then we'd, like, go hit these hot springs that, like, only the locals knew about, it was fucking awesome, and then, like, you know, 10 years later, I find myself on the run out of the century, like, something in my life. <laughs> I'm not sure where that mistake was made. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's fucking funny. <laughs> well, 
Well, and when you when you're in a situation like that, like because I I remember like or not remember, but I know that at one point you had a really nasty fall that like you broke your leg pretty bad, right? Yeah. So actually, it's interesting. So that like, and it was a really dumb situation. Like I was on an off with, which I didn't realize. So I had like my biggest piece was a number two. And then I just kept climbing and I needed like a five or a six or something to protect. And yeah, I just got really run out and then just slipped and fell, um, you know, destroyed my leg. I actually spent six years on crutches. I've had six years. Yeah. I had amazing triceps. Um, I had like 21 different reconstructive procedures to like save my leg. I mean, I just, I completely destroyed it. And, um, so that was pretty life changing for, I mean, there was a, there was a, so I actually had 11 orthopedic surgeons tell me that they couldn't save my leg. And then I just kept doctor shot. It was funny. Cause I remember one of the guys and I was in New York city at the time, you know, so it wasn't like I was going to like Tijuana for like sketchy doctors. And this one guy was like, you can't just keep doctor shopping until you hear what you want. I was like, no, literally I can. Cause I was going to like reputable places <laughs> and I got so angry that I tried to storm out of his office, except I was on crutches. So I like <laughs> stormed out and then I had to like stop and open the door and like prop it open my crutches. And I was like trying to slam it behind me. <laughs> dramatic dramatic exit i've ever done <laughs> oh god i want that security footage to be released <laughs> i was like crutching like really determinedly and then i was like and now i'm at the door and i need my hands <laughs> but um so it's it's really interesting though because from then and then i you know for me to like so i was i was pretty like you know for me getting back into climbing after that accident was a pretty big deal and then i was just top roping for a year and then when I started leading again, you know, it was like, okay, this is like a big step for me. And it, it turned into like a little bit of a mental head game. Like I was pretty scared. And then to get back on trad after that was like just another sort of hurdle. And I started doing, you know, I started getting back into climbing just a little bit because I, re- I remembered how much I liked it, but a lot because I was just like, like that guy in a, who decked on that route in Leavenworth, it was just like, I have to get over this fear and then I realized like how much I loved it. But um, last year I was down at the Lower Gorge in Smith and I just like pulled a stoner move. Like the guidebook and mountain project says like off with at the top, like take at least the number four and a number three. And of course I don't like they're sitting on the ground and I'm like working my way up. I've got a number two in and then all of a sudden I'm like 15 feet above it. And I just, I just kept thinking like in the back of the crack, like I'd find some place for small gear and then there was just nothing and it just kept getting wider and wider and wider and all of a sudden I'm in this off with like you know 15 feet above my number two and I'm like this is exactly the situation I was in when I got hurt and I was just like you know and I could have had a meltdown but instead I was like I'm a much stronger climber I'm much more experienced I was just like keep going and eventually like I about 20 feet above my number two and there was actually a bolt around the corner for the neighboring route. So I put like a long Alpine draw on it clipped in and then just kept going. But it was really interesting for me. That was like a big moment because it was like I was in the exact same position as my accident. And I had like a little bit of like a, you know, a little mental like gut check there where I was like, oh, my God, like this could go really wrong. And I know exactly how wrong it can go. And then I was just like, stay calm, keep climbing, like trust in like the gear that's going to, I mean, like, you know, when I had my accident, I didn't have the right gear, but what gear I did have saved, did save my life. Like the number two was good and it held, you know, 
Um, I just took a, a really inappropriately big fall on it. And, um, you know, so I, I told myself, I was like, the, the system works, the gear is good. Like I knew my pieces were good that I had. And I just trusted like the skill and like whatever strength that I had in the last, you know, five or six years that I've been climbing a shit ton. And so I just kept going. And it was just like the ability to like stay calm that that's sort of what I've learned in the last few years, especially like some of the really committing alpine climbing I've done is just like when you're on something within your grade, like just keep calm and like, you know, you can figure it a way out through it. So it's stupid to get that run out. Like I really kicked myself in the ass after that. Cause I was like, you're so fucking stupid. Like had I looked at mountain project or the guidebook, like I would have never been in that situation. Um, I like, I had the gear with me, but it was still for me, it was like a big moment where I like sort of got over that confronted the exact same situation in my accident and just kept going. So it was like, you know, it was a little bit of a proud moment for me. I totally know what you mean. I've, I've been on routes before where you're definitely in a no fall zone and you've got to put that fear aside and just be like, Nope, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to get past this. I'm not going to freak out (laughs) because freaking out is going to end very badly. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Well done. And then, yeah, like, like you said, you were in the exact position that you had been in before. Yeah. Wow. And I was, Yeah, I was like, I could just have a meltdown or I could just keep going. But yeah, I think that's, you know, and that's like the thing I love about alpine climbing. It's so, you know, I did this route a couple of years ago called Iconoclast up in Leavenworth. And my friends had tried to climb it the year before and bailed because there's a a long section where it goes at 10 C slab. But you're basically you've got an old Fred Becky, uh, old Fred Becky handmade bolt. And then you've got a double zero and that's it. And then you've got a 30 foot traversing run out. So if you're the leader and you fall, well, first of all, you're falling on a double zero and then you're going to slam back in the dihedral. So it's going to be an ugly fall. If you're the second and you fall, you'll just fall into air. So it'll be terrifying and long, but you're not going to get messed up. And so my friends had gotten to that point and bailed. And then, um, you know, one of them called me up. He's like, hey, you want to you want to put this root up for us? And I was like, absolutely. That's what I love now more than anything is like, you know, many grades below my physical limit, but it's like the mental part. So it's like, you know, I climb several grades harder than 10 C. So I was like, physically, I know I can do it. It's just a matter of like, if you can hold my shit together. So, you know, I'm traversing out on this and it's just slash. This is like, you know, just empty slab. And you don't really know where to go because especially because it's slab, like all the chalk gets washed off. And my partner's like, how does it look? Like, how's it going? And I'm like, I just, normally I'm like pretty chatty when I climb. And I just turned him, I'm like, dude, not now. I was like, I'm cruxing. <laughs> I was like, I need all the concentration I have to like keep my shit together. Yeah. And then you turn the corner and then it's like five, seven after that. But it was really fun. Like that's when it's just like, to me, that's climbing is like just the pure, like you can't think of anything else, like all the other bullshit going on in your life and the world or whatever. It's just like you and these tiny little granite nubbins and you just cannot think of anything else. And that's, I just fucking love it. You know, so there's nothing else in the world like it. Like, It just, you can't think of anything else. It's just you and the rock and like, don't fall, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Um, That mental fortitude, I think with, um, with Honold just recently free soloing the free rider in Yosemite, I think Uh his mental control was the most impressive part of that. Like, it's amazing that somebody, you know, basically did, did that ground up. That's a huge achievement. But to be able yeah. to do that section without a rope, 
Totally. And to be able to not have it completely mentally destroy you. Like I, I can't even imagine that level of control. Yeah. And it's crazy. Like just the psycho, even like on routes that are like, you know, R or X rated, even just having the rope, even if you're like, this is going to be the worst fall on the planet. Like just having the rope gives me so much security that, like you make moves, you know? So the route that, you know, we, we climbed three finger Jack this weekend and it was really, really wet and chossy. And so we roped up for some of the, there was like a five, three section that normally I would not rope up for. Um, but it was so wet that I was like, I would like to be roped up for this. And it was just like that mental, just having it, like we didn't fall, like no one waited the rope, but it was just having that security blanket there just makes you able to like step out and do the exposed traverse Whereas, like, I don't know, like, the conditions being so bad and, like, not if I didn't have the rope, like, I probably would have had a mini meltdown instead. And it's just crazy when you look at what he does and how he's able to just, like, focus and keep calm. And it's, you know, like, like people are like, oh, you're, you're, you're bold because you're, you're leading all this stuff. I'm like, no, I always have safety gear. Like, I, you know, I mean, I free saw a little bit, but just really easy stuff, you know, and, um. Like, nothing like what Alex Honnold's doing. It's just amazing. Like, people talk about the athleticism of it, but I agree with you. It's, like, more or less just the mental focus and intensity that he brought to that that's, like, truly impressive. Oh, absolutely. It's got to be one of the most impressive feats of, like, human accomplishment when it comes to, you know, any sort of athletic endeavor. Yeah, totally. I mean... Because that route's what? It's, like, 3,000 feet tall or something like that? Or is it less than, like, 2,000 between two and three, something maybe. Yeah, it's crazy. And just <laughs> keeping it together for that long. I mean, I guess they had, there's like ledges where you could like take a little mental pump out break, but still like you have to be on, like you can't fuck up, you know, like you have to be on point for that entire time. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> it's outside my realm of understanding. <laughs> I know. Seriously. Like, you know, sometimes you look at what the pros are doing and you're like, it's inspirational and you think like, oh, I could do that someday. And then other times you're like, nope, so much nope. <laughs> like oh, never. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, any of that free, the free soloing stuff scares the shit out of me. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. The, the biggest thing I've done without a rope is like a 20 some foot boulder. Yeah. And and like, that was enough. <laughs> I did some highball here in Central Oregon. It's called the Big Easy. And it's like the only warm up. And it's like a 25 foot highball, like me one. And this is so funny because at one point, you know, like the, the, the V1 section comes really early and then it's just really easy climbing to the top out. But at some point, like you have to look down to like find your feet. And I was like, nope. Don't want to just so there's like a picture of me whale flopping at the top and they're like, dude, there's tons of feet. I'm like, but I don't want to look down and see them because then I have to see how far off the ground I am. Whale flopping. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I'm just going to whale flop over this so I don't have to. And like, you know, at one point I did look down and I saw like, it was like four boulder pads. So I was plenty protected, but they look really far away and lonely. Oh, yeah. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, nope, don't want to look down anymore. And, you know, I don't generally am not scared of heights. Like I love exposure. Like I love getting up high love those like long alpine routes where you just get like really really high up but it was just something about like the lack of rope where i was like nope i'm just gonna whale flop over this and yeah it's it's disquieting yeah yeah used to looking down me i'm used to looking down and and seeing my my knot 
Yeah. And, and like when I place my feet, I'm used to have to look around and make sure that, you know, I'm placing it correctly and I'm not going to get the rope behind me if I fall. Totally. That sort yeah. of stuff. And, and yeah, I was, I was helping develop this new bouldering area with my friend Alan and we kind of talked about doing this one that had a bunch of highballs on it. And we had like maybe three pads with us, but then just the two of us. And so he did this one and I was like, nah, I'm, you know, I did like the super easy one yeah, to, to the left of it. And and I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to push my luck anymore today. And he's like, oh, you got to do this one. It's so great. And it's like, it did look really cool. And yeah. so I was like, all right, fine, I'll do it. And then when I got up to the top though, when like pretty much the holds ran out and then it's starting to, you're having to transition into the top out and it's like a very curving, you know, away from you type deal where it's like, what the fuck? There's no holds. And this is like trying to like climb up on top of like a bowling ball. Oh, and the God. holes that were there, it was like baby Swiss looking limestone. And so it's like all these little scallops and stuff that you can grab. But it's like, which one of these is going to crumble? Or am I going to step on one and it's going to break? And then I look yeah. him down and Alan's like spotting me. And it's like, dude, I'm going to crush you so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, just let me hit the pads. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst when you're like, I don't know if I can trust this. You know, especially if you're developing new areas, like shit can break. You know, if it's like some of the routes that we climb at Smith, you're like, well, it doesn't look great, but a billion and a half people have pulled on it, so it's probably not going to break off. Yeah. But you're in a new area, and it's like, you know, one of my one of my friends called those like future classics. It's like once it cleans up a little, <laughs> it'll be a great route. But in the meantime, it's just fucking terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was the second ascent. <laughs> yeah. So it's like God knows what I can trust and not trust up here. <laughs> I remember Troy bolted this one route at the red that I was, I got on and he, I mean, he does a good job and he cleans the route, but he bolts so fast that, and sometimes I think like I probably use different holds than he had cleaned. And so there was one hold that was just like really covered in dust. It was like ball bearing. So I kept sort of climbing up to it, trying to brush it off, climbing back down. And I didn't want to make the move. And he starts laughing. He's like, you just up climb and down climb the crux like four times. He's like, you should just fucking go. I'm like, I know, but I don't know if anything's going to be like dirty or hard break. And he's just like, you're clearly plenty strong enough to get through it. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'll just sack up and keep going. <laughs> That's pretty tame. At least he didn't berate you. Yeah, yeah. I think, he's, I think he tries to be like on slightly better behavior around me, but you know. <laughs> dude, Troy makes me laugh so much. I love yeah. hearing him talk to people. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was telling me this story that he was bull or he was belaying Alan one time. I think it was in the red, and Alan kept finger fucking around with his pocket trying to find the best way to pull on it. <laughs> Troy's like, "You keep fingering that thing; it's gonna squirt at you." <laughs> <laughs> so the guys on the wall started laughing. He said Alan fell off the route. Oh my God, I could totally see Troy saying that. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh my God, he's so funny. Yeah. He's it's just a beast, though. Like I just can't believe. I mean, it's funny because people ask me. So you know, like this past week, um, so I wrote like an article for work, submitted for peer review. I rescued like three people, hiked sixty miles, climbed three mountains. You know, like that was my normal work week. They're like, how do you, how do you do that? So you're fucking like, I was like, I don't know. Oregon's the fucking meth capital of the U.S. I mean, I don't know. Like I just, I sleep like four hours a night. You know, it's just, I just like, I just love climbing and I'm just out there all the time. But then you look at someone like Troy, you're like, man, just thinking about him makes me exhausted. (laughs) Constantly on the go. And that's, it's so funny because people say that to me. They're like, how are you fitting all this in in a day? 
I'm like, I don't know. I just sleep less, you know, like I had a, I had a, this huge project at work and, um, the budget had me working. It, it budgeted me for 37 hours of work a day. And I was like, you do realize that's literally impossible. Like there's only 24 hours in a day. And like, I need at least four to like eat and shit. So like, I can't <laughs> find you 37 hours, but then like, so I did the work, but I also like, you know, went to the gym, went climbing, like went outside a couple of times, like pulled some guy, like a guy with a broken leg off South sister. Like, and I, and those sort of things are all optional. Like I, you know, I have to get my work done, but I was like, well, if I'm not going to let work ruin my life, like I'm still going to go out and have fun and like go climbing. And my friends are like, you're fucking insane. Like you should be home sleeping. I'm like, no, I should be out climbing. Cause that's what I live for. You know, like that's, that's where it is. So I think one of the nights I got 47 minutes of sleep, but I still went climbing the next day. Oh my God. <laughs> I was I was setting my alarm on my phone uh, because I had to get up like a little earlier than normal. And it said like alarm is set for 47 minutes from now. I'm like, oh, this is a low point in my life. <laughs> That's almost mean of Android phones to do that because I, I noticed like... my iPhone doesn't do that. And I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, man, I'm really I was like, That's not even enough. <laughs> my wife gets up super early in the mornings for work she works like a like a really really early shift so yeah she's getting up at like you know 2 45 3 in the morning a lot Jeez. and yeah she has an android <laughs> so she's yeah. like she's like it's so depressing when it tells me that i'm only you know I'm like your alarm will wake you up in four hours <laughs> oh, oh that's tough oh my yeah. god like i work east coast so i'm like you know in oregon i work east coast hours so i generally get up around like five five fifteen and then I'm like you know at work by six um by at work I mean like I've rolled from my bed to my couch um and like made coffee in the morning but yeah I like just totally work so, from home yeah I'm 100% remote oh that's so, incredible yeah that's why I'm like I may just relocate my ass to Boulder or Salt Lake like I and you know sometimes like hope no one at work is listening to this, but like sometimes I um, will just like work from the trunk of my car. Like I'll go up to Leavenworth for a week and I'm just working out the back of my Subaru. So I've got like a solar generator. I've got like one of those goal zero things and I can run like with the solar panels, I can run my laptop and a couple of phones, my hotspot for like four or five days. Um, even if there's cloud cover. That's awesome. So, well, yeah. And, and in the end, I mean, does it matter if you're still putting in the work? Oh. Yeah. And as long as I get my work done, you know, I just have to be somewhere with good cell phone coverage so that my hotspot works. But otherwise, yeah, it really doesn't matter. And so it's it's funny because that's why I think people are constantly asking me if I'm retired because they see all my pictures. They're like, how are you climbing all the time? I'm like, well, when you wake up at five in the morning, you know, it turns out there's a lot of fucking extra hours in the day compared to when I used to wake up at like nine. Right? <laughs> so like true? people are rolling into work at nine. I've already put in a four hour work day. So I'm halfway through. And then I, I work till two right now in the Pacific Northwest, like the sun doesn't even go down till like eight o'clock at night. So if I'm at the crag by two 30, I can climb till eight. That's a six hour day at the crag. You know, that's pretty good. You can get a lot so, done. Yeah. Yeah. And then you just sleep a little bit less, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, cool. I always wondered how you got so much climbing. in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. People are like completely convinced that I'm like independently wealthy or retired. It's just like, no, I just wake up like extra early. And then, you know, sometimes like, you know, if I have to work late, like the time difference does work in my favor again, because, um, you know, like sometimes I'll, I'll log off right at two, 
which is five o'clock East coast. But then I'll, you know, like I'll climb to like eight o'clock, come home, eat dinner, nine o'clock. I'll log back in and do a couple extra hours of work. So it's like unreasonably late. Like it's now midnight on the East coast. So no one's calling me, but it's actually nice. Cause like no one's interrupting me. Like I can just get a couple hours in and I still get to sleep at like, you know, 10, 11 o'clock. Like it's not bad. Um, you know, I'm at home. So yeah, it's, I've, I'm really like grateful for the, the gig that I've got going and, you know, they're really flexible with where I work. And, you know, again, as long as I get my work done, um, no one seems to really like I'm supposed to be at home. But, you know, if I'm not, no one really knows. Like I went out to the Teton. So it's, a, you know, an 11 hour drive. So I left I left Bend. I went to Twin Falls, Idaho. I worked there for a day and then I went to Jackson Hole. I worked there for another day. So, you know, instead of doing all 11 hours at once, I just broke it up into a couple of like, you know, six hour shifts of driving. And then I worked around those just, uh, I worked from like a highway rest stop one of the days and I worked from this like crazy little Bosnian cafe another day. And, you know, you just, you find it, but that's why I think I'm, I'm going to upgrade to the Sprinter van because the Subaru, the trunk of the Subaru gets a little cramped sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You need a Sprinter van because <laughs> you yeah. are basically living that lifestyle already. Yeah, I am except from a, a station wagon. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I've looked up videos and and photo galleries and stuff online of the way that some people trick those sprinter vans out. Yeah. With the, with the bed and the cabinetry and like the little mini kitchen and everything. And it's incredible. Yeah, it's nice. So, and then we also have, uh, you should look up this company. It's called Earth Cruiser. They're an Australian company, but their their U.S. headquarters is actually in Bend. And I know a couple of people who work there. And they I mean, the problem is they're like, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Like I can't afford one, but, um, there are these unbelievable, like, I mean, they're meant for like just off the grid, like completely self-contained. Like you could just live in these things. And this is like, this is like the dream, right? So like a sprinter, I could buy an earth cruiser. I could not afford, but like, sometimes I just get on their website and like drool over these things. I'm like, what dirt bag can afford a $250,000 car? Like, that's what I don't understand. I'm like, who, but they're apparently like you order one and it's like a year long wait before they even start building it. Cause they're so popular. Wow. Like, I don't, I need to meet someone. I just need to hang out and like marry one of their customers. Be like, Hey, how's it going? <laughs> I just like hang out the show and be like, hey, I come with the Earth Cruiser too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to suggest maybe adding that into your lottery budget, but you know, hey, marriage, yeah. whatever. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I mean, these are, these are all unrealistic, not ever going to happen plans anyway. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, I could just hang out in the headquarters, I guess, and be like, like, I just more I'm just interested in like, who are these people who can afford these things? So most climbers I know are like, you know, pretty paycheck to paycheck because we've we've made choices in life that like are focused around climbing, not necessarily a career, you know, so mm-hmm. like I haven't necessarily like, you know, like quitting my job and like hitchhiking to California and like working in a ski resort answering 1-800-MAMMOTH like arguably wasn't the best, like, you know, the thing that advanced my career professionally, but it was amazing and I don't regret doing it at all, you know, but like, you know, I look at some of my colleagues and they're younger than me and they're like, you know, way higher in the company and I don't care. Like I'm not gunning for, you know, to be some fancy person. Like I, I'd like to make enough to buy myself toys once in a while, like new camps, new shoes, a plane ticket here and there, like gas for my car and a bunch of cliff bars. But, you know, besides that, like I don't, 
I don't need a lot. And I think a lot of climbers, like, you know, the, the ones of us who are pretty serious about it and really fall in love, like we make those choices where you don't necessarily go after the job that pays the best. You go after the job that gives you the work-life balance that allows you to do the things you really love. And so I'm just like, who are these people, these unicorns who have figured it out that they can afford a two, a $200,000 car and be out dirt bagging? Like, who are you? I just, <laughs> I'm like, give me the secret to your your success here, you know? Yeah, because it would really be sad if they were just buying it and it just because they thought it was cool and it's just going to stay in a garage. I know. That thing needs to get out and get dirty and get lived in. Yeah. So I have a one of my one of my friends here in Bend. She's a super badass kayaker and she's got a, a sprinter van that's totally tricked out and really really nice. It was built by a company out in um Oregon. And like, she's out there, like she's a super badass kayaker and she's out there. And it's funny because she had the entire van. It's a sprinter, you know, built around her kayaks. So like, not necessarily the way like I would build it, but you know, like she needs to be able to put them inside. Um, but yeah, like she's out there using it. Like a lot of the people around here who I live with and know are like getting out and using their toys, but then you're just like, you know, it's like, we're all like, oh man, like, you know, should we get the Sprinter with a hundred thousand miles on it already? Or should we get this Dodge that's a lemon? You know, like those are the choices we're making. Not like, should I, should I put the deposit down on the $250,000 truck? Like those are not the discussions we're having. (laughs) (laughs) So a friend of mine actually bought like, you know, one of those airport hotel shuttles, like the shuttle bus, Mm -hmm. he just bought of those and is converting it into like you know a, a work from like a whatever dirt bag van and it's so fun I'm like but dude it's got so many windows like yeah. <laughs> but like he got a screaming deal on it he got it for like ten thousand dollars or something oh, wow. so uh, yeah he's just like well you know i can i can insulate over the windows and he, he's like i just won't go anywhere really cold um but yeah it's just like you just, you see some of these really, really nice sprinters and you're like, who are these people? And like, how do I become friends with them? Or how, how do I be them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it does make you wonder too with, with climbers. Cause yeah. I mean, you always yeah. hear like read things and stuff about, you know, like accusations of like, Oh, you know, you're doing this cause you're a trust fund baby and all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's funny because yeah, it makes you realize you never know the full story. Because like I said, a lot of people think that I'm somehow independently wealthy because I'm just out. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's like, you know, people like they look at it and they're like, you're literally climbing five or six days a week outdoors. Like, how is that even possible? And it's just, well, I just wake up really like unreasonably early, you know, get my work done and then, you know, get a get an afternoon cragging session in. But yeah, it's funny because people like I had a lot of people be like, oh, like your your parents must have had money or like, oh, you must have retired early. And I was like, I mean, I, I spent a lot of years just working in like shitty little nonprofit jobs or like shitty little like waitressing jobs, too, you know. So, um, I mean, I, I, I've had fancy jobs here and there and I've had really like low wage dead end jobs. And, you know, it's, just, it's always sort of comes and goes and sometimes you're flush and sometimes you're not. But, yeah, I definitely am not like a like trust fund kid or anything. I wish, you know, maybe someday, maybe I have a long lost relative that I don't know about who's going to inherit me a billion dollars. But in the meantime, I've got like plans A, B, C, and D. (laughs) (laughs) I know with me, when I started bolting routes, the, you know, the bolts and hangers and stuff were expensive enough that I didn't want to cut into my family budget. And so I started, I started going and donating plasma. Oh, literally all my routes were paid in blood. (laughs) 
my god, that's amazing. <laughs> I still got the scars <laughs> on my oh arms my from god. it. And I still get yeah. emails from them. Right now, they that's... want me to come back for five visits, and they'll give me $250. And I'm like, oh, that's a lot of bolts and hangers. <laughs> and I got this that's new area so... that I'm bolting, so I kind of need that. But, oh, the thought of sitting there and donating blood <laughs> or donating plasma, I don't want to yeah, do it. You're not donating. You're selling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They call it donating for some reason. Yeah. I know. I think because it's like sort of, yeah, it's like they have to call it that. And it's like, and then here's some money for your inconvenience. Yeah. But. Yeah, that's why, like, I, I try to, because I don't have, like, necessarily as much of the knowledge or time to bolt, but, like, I'm so grateful for people to do that. I'm always donating, like, anytime anyone has, like, a GoFundMe or, like, a fundraiser, like, I'm always donating, because I'm just, like, I'm, like, a selfish climber. Like, I want to get out there and crag, and I don't necessarily want to spend, like, you know, months out of the year, like, cleaning, developing, bolting, figuring out lines and stuff. Like, maybe in the future, but, like, right now, like, I just want to get climb my brains out. But I'm so grateful of people like you and Troy and, like, my friends here do that stuff that, you know, I always make sure to try and support them because that shit costs money, you know? And, like, the most recently I had a rope that – it had a couple flat spots. You know, it's still – it's not core shot, but it's a couple flat spots. wasn't giving me a good catch. So I just gave it to my friend to like use for bolting because he's just gonna you know wear the shit out. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean it's dynamic, so it's annoying to jug, but like you know he can use because sometimes a lot of times he'll set up a line and he'll just like with like mini tracks he'll like tr a route while he figures out where the bolt should go and as he's cleaning and stuff. So you can do that on dynamic. So it's just like little things. It all costs money, and he burns through gear so fast. You know he's just running through money for bolts and um you know he works for metolius so he gets a discount on like bolts and hangers but oh, it's cool. still money you know yeah. like in, even with like an employee discount like it's still it still adds up i mean you bolt 20 roots in a year that's like a couple thousand dollars of just hardware oh yeah so, yeah yeah and and see the stuff like the the place i'm working on right now it's on private property and so like really it wouldn't be right for me to take donations from people because it's likely never going to be a public area yeah you know i've ever since i got into climbing the majority of the places i climb are private property and so there's times where i'm just not in a mood to go climb around people and maybe be witness to the shit show yeah (laughs) and like i just want to go out in the woods and listen to the sound of the wind in the trees and not you know somebody's fucking stereo a little ways away or somebody else's dog you know because people yeah. have to take their dog to the crag <laughs> but even like stuff like that like you know my friends who are bolting stuff that i might never call you know i'll make sure to buy them a beer just to be like hey thanks for doing that you know like maybe it's not something i'll ever get on but you know i try and like hey i'm buying you a burrito for lunch today just like thanks for your community service yeah. even your route i'll never do <laughs> you know it's just nice when people put their time and effort into doing that stuff. It's just nice. I feel like, you know, right now, like I have an actual job so I can buy an extra burrito once in a while for lunch. And then maybe <laughs> yeah, there like, you go. when I don't have a job, someone will buy me a burrito. <laughs> yeah, That's the way karma is supposed to work, right? It, I think so I'm pretty sure that's how it actually works. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to make it to Iowa sometime and come check out this limestone we got here, though. Totally. Yeah, I keep seeing it looks awesome. I keep seeing pictures. I was one of those flyover states that now all of a sudden I'm more interested in. So it's funny. Well, the thing that's weird about it is that, you know, I've born and raised here and I didn't see a lot of these areas until I got into climbing. And so yeah. a lot of people who live in the state here, like 
like they'd see my pictures on Facebook and they'd be like, where are you going? <laughs> and I'd be like, well, it's only like an hour away from Cedar Rapids, less than. And they're like, no kidding. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like there's like a whole world there in Eastern Iowa that like a freaking Iowans don't even know about. <laughs> and it's, I mean, I it's, it's not like there's I anything would... that's super tall. Like, yeah. But what is here is really, really good. Like it's when I see pictures of um, uh, people climbing in ten sleep, it looks yeah. really similar to the stone we got here. Really? Yeah, that's where it's like just that pocketed kind of yeah. vert to slightly overhanging technical climbing. It's yeah. awesome. I keep trying to make it out to so actually like on my way home from uh, the Tetons. Ten sleep was like four hours in the wrong direction. And I was like, oh, I could just go there and work for them. But then I was like, I had already spent like a couple days working the trunk of my car. And like, let's be honest, like it didn't like my car smelled like climber feet and stale beer. Gross. You know, <laughs> and like, yeah. And like you're like, I'm, I'm not a big person. So I fit pretty well. Like you, you lay the seat down. <laughs> But it's still pretty cramped, and I was like, oh, this is what I was like. I'm doing it. I'm buying a sprinter, you know, because I was just like, I could have gone to 10 sleep and spent, like, another week there. And that was, like, right when that, like, climber festival was happening. So a bunch of my friends were there already. And I was like, oh, it's just four hours. of four hours in a totally wrong direction. But I was like, I've already driven 11. Like, what's another four? And I eventually just ended up coming back to Oregon. But, uh, yeah, it's just I just keep wanting to go to 10 sleep. I just keep seeing all those pictures. I'm like, someday I'll make it there. Didn't quite this season, but I mean, maybe next year. But maybe I'll be in Spain. Who knows? <laughs> I haven't made it out there, but all my friends that have have said that it was incredible. Yeah. And then they all came back and they were like, it was really similar to what we got. It's just a totally different elevation. Oh, yeah. Wow. I'm like, that's really probably, cool. You'd probably do really well there then if you're climbing that type of like you would not have as much of a like adjustment, you know, of like what what are these pockets and what do I do with them? Yeah, as long as I stick to like five ten and under. Yeah. <laughs> Just way too well, weak lately. I did I did hear the grades there are pretty soft, so you hey, know Hey, good. I like soft grades. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think just last week I pulled a freaking uh, pulley in my right ring finger. Uh, no. In the gym of all places too. It's oh, so depressing. That's the worst. <laughs> I yeah, I've been so I told my cause so last year, May twenty fifth, last year I had surgery on my hand. I actually had a bone tumor in my finger. So I had to get that dug out and it got so big that it destroyed my collateral and my volar plate or my collateral ligament and my volar plate. So that was a long process. It was like 12 weeks of, of zero climbing and then another 12 weeks of light duty. And then right when I got better from that, I got spiked on a lead fall. So I broke my foot. So 2017, my goal was to just not get injured. I was just like, Oh, I just, I have to be, you know, smart about things. I just can't keep doing stupid shit. And so Seven months, seven and a half months in, I'm I'm doing okay, but it's that's it's just like you know I was in downtown Bend like shooting pool with some friends, so I had I had a broken foot, so I was in one of those moon boots, right? My friend had fallen bouldering and missed the bouldering pad, so he had broke both ankles. Another guy who was out there, he had broken his thumb skiing, and then my other friend had broken her leg mountain biking, and then my other friend who was there had um torn his ACL slackline. He got like tangled in it as he fell on a high line. Oh. And um, so we, every single one of us was in like a cast or like some kind of brace. And we just start <laughs> laughing. Cause we're like, 
that's what that's what it's like that's just the fact of life of like living in a mountain town you know like the guy i was dating at the time was just like a hiker he wasn't a, a like you know really into outdoor anything and every time i got injured he's like what the fuck you need to be more careful with yourself i'm like <laughs> deal like because i look at my friends and like we're all like hey check out my new cast you know (laughs) (laughs) a good thing i heard he had crutches (laughs) yeah totally It was actually funny the day I broke my foot. So, you know, I live south of Terrebonne and there, or south of Smith Rock. So it's about like a half an hour north. And then I go to Portland. And so I was climbing that day and then I was flying out of Portland Airport to go on a, a trip to D.C. for work. And so I had packed all my stuff, like I packed my suits and everything. I had brought it to the crag and then I was going to, you know, leave from there and drive to Portland and I broke my foot. So I was like, God damn it, I have to drive back to my house to get my crutches because obviously I own them already. And then I have to drive. So I was like, <laughs> oh, fuck, it's an hour detour to get the crutches. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like shouldn't you be like maybe detouring to the hospital i'm like no man i, I like this has happened so much like i actually own that moon boot already because of course like so the moon boot strap this on and i'm good to go <laughs> yeah got my crutches i'm like driving to portland this was my friend's birthday that night so we went out and then the next day i went and got an x-ray because i was like you know like i knew it was it was it wasn't good but i also knew it wasn't like anything super urgent it was like it's it's broken today it's gonna be broken tomorrow like what's the difference you know <laughs> but i think that's like you get this weird outlook on life or just injuries because everyone around you is just like, oh, pulled my pulley, like dislocated my elbow, taking a weird fall. You know, it's just like I, I'm not I don't have some like wish to get injured. But like when it happens, you're just like, that's part of life, you know. Well, and when you climb that much, you're used to just dealing with pain also. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, climbing hurts, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, those holds are not ergonomically made. So you're dealing <laughs> with like skin pain. You're in uncomfortable shoes. You're hiking for long distances wearing heavy packs. If you're bolting routes, like you hang in the harness and it starts to squeeze on your kidneys. Yeah. <laughs> it's like every, everything sounds, that hurts. <laughs> the whole thing sounds ridiculous when you put it that way, doesn't it? Yeah. That's why, like, I don't know. I've just, like, I was in, like, a project mode for years and then uh-huh. I just burned out on it. Yeah. And then I all of a sudden one day I was just like, I don't want to go out and try all day. I want to go out and succeed. And so I went and just spent all day on the same five out five, eight. And I had so much fun. It was like when I first started and like, I haven't been able to flip back to project mode since like every time I go out in the woods, I just want to fuck around on something easy. Yeah, I did. Like, it's funny because a couple years ago, I was the first time I like I really understood just climbing five fun. And I was like, this can be fun, too. And then now I've I've switched more to project mode. You know, before I was sort of like trying to be like a really good onsite climber and just climb a lot of volume. And then I was like, I can climb five fun. Like, I can just climb shit I've done already. Have it like I tell everyone, like, it's hard for me to have a bad day outside. Like, no matter what kind of bullshit goes on, like if I'm outside, it's going to be fun. So, you know, because like, I take some friends out her total newbies and you know like it's not like i'm getting any climbing in like i'm just setting up top ropes for them and i'm belay slaving but i'm still outside and i'm having a great time like with people i love doing something i love like it's a double win in my opinion you know and i i realized that about i was like i don't have to be so single-minded about like on-site everything try new routes like project i was like i can climb five fun too but now that you know now that i have a little bit more like time where i'm climbing like five or six days a week i can give a couple of days 
to projecting. I can have a couple days of five fun. I can have a couple days of just taking my friends out and showing them the ropes. I get a little bit of everything. So I think it was a good mix, you know, it's a good time. Yeah. Well, that's really cool that you got the time to, to throw in that mix like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, think, I just, I remember the very first, uh, five eleven I sent, I had been projecting it and like, I remember like falling on the crux, falling on the crux and then getting through the crux and then just falling off. And then so many times just like, <laughs> you know, being like, okay, I'm in the clear. I just need to remember the beta and get to the top. And then you fall in that section. And you get so mad. <laughs> it's like, no, now I got to go through the heinous hard fucking part again. And then it's like the next time you rope up, it's like, I don't want to. And it's like, well, my, gear, my gear's on it and everything's fresh in your mind. You should really do it right now. I don't want to. Totally. <laughs> you know? Well, that's what the last time I learned, like that's where you do the bolt to bolt. So you don't even plan on climbing it. You just climb to one bolt and hang. So you don't get pumped and you lock the beta in. And so that's what my friends were like, you know, because, you know, like you, you try, you try on site and I don't on site 512 and then you try and red point it. I don't red point my second go because I am not that strong, you know, and then they're like, do a bolt to bolt burn. Like that's how you warm up. Like you don't get pumped. And it was fun. And that's where I just like locked in and there was no pressure because I wasn't ever intending on sending. I was like, I'm going to get to that bolt and have a take. And as long as you have a Belair who's like into doing that with you, yeah. you know, <laughs> slow process, you know, um, it's like, it just, it, that's what really changed that route for me. Cause I just, it gave me the time to like figure it out and I didn't get all pumped, but yeah, like, I so I sent that 12B and then I try to go back. There's a variation to it that goes at 12C. And so I try to go back for that. And I like literally the only thing I did was unsend the 12B. Like I was so that was after I had just hiked 60 miles. I had like done a bunch of rescues. I was so like nothing hurt, but my body was just like, you need a fucking rest day. Yeah. And that's what it was telling me like, no, this is not a day you're going to climb five. 512C. It's a day you're going to go home and do a fucking Game of Thrones marathon and like eat microwave popcorn and ice cream. And that's, I just left and I was like, I'm going to get a burrito, a couple beers, and I'm going to go home and watch Game of Thrones. Okay. I know we had been intending to talk about climbing, but you brought up Game of Thrones. Are you current <laughs> on it? Yes. Oh, dude, how awesome has this season been? Oh my God. Well, it's funny because. Um, I had been, I'm up to speed now, but I had, I was like two episodes behind. So I didn't see not the most recent one, but the, the one prior to that with like the battle scene and my friends are also, I was like, stop, stop talking about it. I was like, I don't want to hear what happens. And then, so one of my friends from search and rescue is a super badass. He was like former special forces. He's like an army ranger. So he's just like, Oh man, her tactics suck. Like, so he's like taking apart the battle scene. Like, you know, you should have done this. And I was like, oh, for God's sakes! All I was like, I was just excited to see dragons burning shit, right? Yeah, like, right? I, know. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's funny though. <laughs> it's like, yeah, these are written by just creative people, not warriors. <laughs> yeah, these are people who are good with words. <laughs> Yeah, it's so funny because he just brought up all the shit that I like would have never thought of. I'm like, dude, stop ruining it for me. Like, dragon burn shit. It was awesome. End of story. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so. Well, on that note, we could probably wrap it up if you want. Yeah, sounds good. I'm going to put some finishing touches on this article I'm writing. So I'm uh, writing. It's a very exciting article on current perspectives on the use of fetal fibronectin testing in preterm labor diagnosis and management. 
So that's wow. the rest of the very exciting night. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to maybe like read a comic book or something. Yeah. <laughs> Look for it. It should be in the September issue of the American Journal of Managed Care. I know you're going to be on the end of your show for that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> like you're just like that level of professional, but then you're also a super hardcore climber. It's just too yeah. cool. That's I, I mean, the climbing is what lets me like get like when we have some craziness at work, I'm like, am I a millimeter away from slipping and dying? No, well, we can deal with this then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and what's interesting with climbing is I've met more like professionals and PhDs than all the rest of my life. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's just it's one of those sports that really it's cerebral enough that it really draws in that crowd. It seems like that's I feel like that's one of the reasons I love it so much. You really have to like, you know, I'm not physically I'm not like some fine specimen of like athleticism. Like I'm pretty short. I'm like not very big, you know, I'm not very strong, but like you can think your way through so much stuff. And, you know, like I have been working on my power and like, you know, different like power endurance and different things, but like there's so much climbing You can just like really think your way through some of the cruxes. And that's what I love. It's like the great equalizer. It's like, Oh, look at your big muscles. And I've just like finessed my way through that crux. You know, because I just I don't have like the strength that a lot of my partners do, but I can like puzzle things out a little bit differently. So that's what makes it so fun. That's awesome. (laughs) It's such a cool sport. Yeah. Anyways, well, you should definitely um, think about coming out here sometime. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Lindsay and I have been talking about that a lot lately. It's it's definitely something we want to do. We're so into the outdoors. And and like I said, we've been doing a lot of research on that. On that um, PCT, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know a bunch of people have hiked it, so, and like I said, I've hiked some sections, so if you have any questions, I can always put you in touch with either just, like, some thru-hikers who have done it in one push, or, like, lots of people who do sections of it also. Awesome. Yeah, because we were talking about maybe going out and just, like, picking, like, a day section or something like that for, for, like, a first goal, or or maybe even just doing something like go to, like, a national park out there and walk totally. something even even tamer at first or something but yeah, yeah well would, we definitely got to get out there that scenery out there is just too cool i i am like i don't know 45 minutes away from the pct trailhead here so you know always welcome if you want to come crash here and go exploring central oregon we've got some awesome stuff <laughs> yeah and i know Lindsay had a lot of fun hanging out with you in the red yeah too, so. yeah yeah she was super dope <laughs> right on oh, all right well, thank you so much for taking the time out claire it was great uh, getting to chat with you Totally. Have a good night. You too. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.